Welcome to the Mostly Pattern at Night. Mostly, I am Salem, joined by my co-host, Graveyard. Hello. This is episode 29 of our weekly All Things Horror podcast. And a uh, big twist in the spirit of M. Night Shyamalan that we're doing this month. Uh, we're not doing an M. Night Shyamalan episode. <laughs> we are uh, switching gears here and we're doing uh, movies based on the short stories of, of Clive Barker. Uh, basically because we had to go to the theater to watch Knock at the Cabin since it just came out in the stars. Didn't quite align for us to be able to do that. So uh, we're yep. postponing that to to next week. Yes. Um, but we're doing uh, the short stories of Clive Barker this week. Um, and then let's find out how many books of blood are in these movies. Let's find out. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, we're doing uh, four movies. We're doing them in chronological order. Um uh, Clyde Barker only directed two of these, but they all these are, are based on short stories of his. Um, so very first one that we're doing is Rawhead Rex, then Nightbreed, then Lord of Illusions, and then the Midnight Meat Train. But I'll let Graveyard take it away with Rawhead Rex. All right. So Rawhead Rex. This is definitely my first time ever seeing this movie. Yeah, it's mine too. I, yeah, I, I mean, I've never seen it. I mean, I, I don't even think I've heard of this movie until we were watching um, In Search of Darkness. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I was like, what? That sounds like a stupid name. But I never <laughs> never even heard of it. Yes. So uh, let's just get this out there right now. While the main guy is American, everyone else is very British. <laughs> I think his wife and children are also American. They are, but she she's she's Irish for her heritage. Like we well, discuss in the movie, aren't we all? But, I mean, yeah, but I'm saying everyone else is like quintessential British. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, the cops, the town. It's like you picture a British person. There they are. That's it was yeah. There's a lot of great <laughs> lines. I was like repeating in their accent because I thought that was hilarious. Half the stuff they were saying. Yeah. Um. So anyway, it kind of starts off um, at a uh, sullen guy trying to remove like a giant stone from his field, and like he hit it a couple of times with a hammer. Like I'm, we're we're talking like a, I don't know how many thousands of pounds that stone would have to be. Uh, yeah, I mean it was. I mean it was what like twenty feet tall. I mean yeah. it was. It was about twenty feet tall, and it was about like three feet like around. Very monolithic. Right. Yeah. So it's like this thing has been there for a long time. I mean, I get that he wants to like, you know, plow his field around it or whatever, but I mean, just leave it, dude. Yeah. Uh, and they try, they get like the world's smallest car to try to put a rope around it to pull right. it out. Yeah. This, this which... tractor looks like it was on its last <laughs> legs like a decade before this movie filmed, which was, yeah. what, early 80s? Early 80s. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I just found them like, okay. And like the guy's standing next to the rope. Like, has no one stood by a chain or rope when pulling something up? You don't stand by it. It's going to break. It's going to snap. You know, he's kind of just kind of holding it. I'm like, this is not going to go well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, 86. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I'd say one of his first adaptations. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know all of the adaptations. I know there's a lot of them. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's very possibly. Yeah. So uh, while this is going on here, uh, the main guy's name is is Howard. Um, he's traveling throughout Ireland and England. I guess it's Ireland. Um, but they are all very British. It seems like. 
Oh, they're Irish. There was they were definitely speaking with Irish accent. Okay. Um, but essentially going around and looking at the history of the churches in the area and the gravestones and stuff like that. Um, and just researching for a book, I would say. Right. Yeah. I think they, they kind of alluded, they didn't really give you a definitive answer, but they kind of alluded to the fact that he writes like some kind of like nonfiction yeah. stuff. So it looks like he's like trying to, he sounded like he was writing a, a book about uh, churches that were on old like pagan sites. Right, which yeah, or, kinda... or at least yeah, at least how old pagan sites have like evolved over time to be in the yeah. present or something, yeah. so, something to that. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll get that into a little bit when he, you know, meets the like the reverence stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, this the storm happens like he's he's going you know looking at graves and his history because there's old ass churches in the UK. Let's face it. Um. And during the thunderstorm, lightning strikes the stone that the guy was trying to pull up, and our creature Ire- feature... Ireland isn't in the UK, just so you... A lot of Irish it, people get upset if you say that. <laughs> It's on the Emerald Islands. How about that? <laughs> um, so we get, a, 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 I'd say, a creature feature. You know, probably a nine-foot-tall, glowing red eye. I don't even know how this demon-esque rawhead rex. Um, comes from the dirt. So it's, it, it, I think it ties in really well with the whole mythology that, that Howard is looking into here in Ireland. Um, and after that happens, there is a, was he, was he, was, he wasn't a vicar, right? Or is he more of, um, a, he's a Deke Declan? I don't. Know, I don't know his title. He wasn't the. He wasn't the head guy in charge of the church. He was. Uh, well, Declan was his name. His name was Declan O'Brien. But they said what he was. I, I want to say uh, it was. It was a reverend. The reverend. Coot. It was Reverend Coot, Coot and I believe he, Father O'Brien. Father O'Brien. Okay, I didn't know yeah. if he was a vicar. I think, or I think not. the reverend is the guy in charge. Yeah, of then, the diocese. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and essentially, he. Um, after he he meets him, he's like, "Hey, you know, I'm here to," and this is where he says, "Like, you know, this is this is you know Christ's church. This is a holy ground." But yeah, but this was built on top of something that already existed pre Christianity. He goes, "Well, pre Romans, not really here. You know, not pre Romans here per se, because there weren't Romans in Ireland. Um, uh, there was some, but not uh, a lot. Not yeah. right. It wasn't conquered by the Romans." Um, he's like, I'm just exploring, you know, everything like this, you know, why, why did churches get built on old religious grounds from other previous religions? And it's a fair question. It does happen. You know, it's a sacred land and help convert people from paganism to Christianity that they had just go to the same spots. Right. Right. That's an interesting thing about us being in, in North America is that we don't have stuff that old. No. I mean, we do, but it's all like it's all native stuff. I'm saying, like, uh, you know, from that from that European age, you know, of of paganism and stuff, we don't have anything in the North America that pertains to that. No, um, it's all it's all like native land. I mean, it's again, you know, for us Europeans, it doesn't that that doesn't have any kind of link to us, but to them over there, it does. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, obviously, before Christianity, there were religions and it was paganism, right, in that area. 
Um, and well, the the not the Reverend, but the the Father O'Brien puts his hand on their normal altar, which everything seems really cramped in that corner. It's like two altars next to the organ, next to the stained glass window that has had Rex on it as a demon being conquered, and like a red light comes through it onto the altar, and when he puts his hand on the altar, it starts like boil almost, like it's being boiled in water. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. It shows like <laughs> it shows like it actually physically burns them, but it also like gives them visions, right? And then he then now essentially becomes an asshole. <laughs> And I'm, pr- I'm pretty serve. sure he was an asshole already. I yeah. think that just got amplified. Right. And and now he's like a, now a servant of Raw Head Rex, essentially. Right? I mean, he loses his sanity enough about it. Um, And, you know, and the guy's taking and very clearly a Polaroid camera because great product placement and, you know, the instant pictures. And he's just going around taking pictures of everything. Um, and he talks to the reverend. He's like, "Hey, you know, can I look at records of the parish records just to see how far back they go? Because you know, when you do ancestry dot com stuff like that, the only record keepers in Europe really were the church, right? Because they have they had the date of baptisms, which were usually three to five days, mostly three. Um, after a child's born, so you're able to get a better birth record than records that were kept in the 800s and 900s because it was just the church well, yeah. and deaths. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, yeah, once we hit the dark ages, the church were basically the only people left that were literate. Yeah. So, yeah, they were the only <laughs> one that kept records for a while. Right, and unfortunately, a lot of that stuff has gotten destroyed over the years from ransacks, Vikings, all that jazz, right? All fires. There was a, yeah. there was a, there was a huge fire in some records building in Ireland, and like I think it's like something like seventy five percent of all like uh, like records of of Irish people before a certain time period were in that building. Yeah. So there's a lot of like ancestry people that can't get past a certain point because it's just gone. Right. Um. So yeah. So he he's like you know hey where are you staying oh I'm still I'm staying at the tall man. <laughs> Ironically the, enough, the, the tall pub. man. Yes, which had really great um hotel room it was multiple room it was like an apartment it seemed like over the tall man um and while this is while this is going on um uh there we see rawhead go after some uh a village area i would say first and kills the husband starts eating him and the wife like he stops from attacking her. Was I think she was supposed to be pregnant, right? Oh, she definitely was. Yeah, yeah. And like Rawhead sees, oh, she's pregnant. I'm not going to attack her. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so instead, she just like goes crazy. She goes very crazy. Like she's not making any sense to the cops in any way, shape, or form. Um. And then after, I'd say after that, you know, we get a little bit more. Uh. Items he goes to, I can't tell if it what Rawhead goes to. Um, I can't tell if we consider it a trailer park or if that was camping. Uh, no, that is uh, what they call in Ireland a trailer park. Well, they call it a caravan park because they don't call them okay. trailers there, they call them caravans. 
world's smallest trailer I've ever seen. Well, yeah, that's that's how they are over there. Yeah. Um, and essentially, we, we were introduced to, uh, I'd say, a what, maybe 13-year-old boy watching movies. Um, I was trying to figure out what movie he was watching because it was a public domain movie. And while his older brother and his girlfriend are literally making out like two feet from him. I mean, not just not just making out, but they're like full on like eating each other's faces. Yes, it's like these pe- it's like these people have never kissed anyone before. Like right. all the kissing yeah. in this movie is like no one's ever kissed anyone in their entire lives. Right. Yeah, it's like I don't know, I don't know who face. was directing this, but it's like <laughs> I don't know who told you to like lick their open mouth like that. But that's not how it works. <laughs> I was so disturbed by all of them, like how people kiss yeah but that was like it multiple times it was like the right the, the lead guy and his wife were like making out in the street yeah like for some reason and they were kissing like that yeah these two teenagers were kissing like that i mean i think there's another kissing scene later on that they're all that it's all the same and i don't understand yeah. like so somebody was telling them to do this like lick each other's face and like when we say suck face we mean suck their face yeah it's <laughs> it's like it's alien <laughs> Yeah. Um anyway, so she they go, okay, well my my little brother's here. Let's go into the woods and then start making out and getting it on, right? Well, I mean, yeah, that's what you do. Uh, sure. <laughs> and it's like hear a noise. Shh, what was that? And Brian Rex attacks. Um You ever gone walking around a forest preserve? Yeah. There's always condom wrappers. People get people get it out <laughs> in the woods, man. It's just the way it is. I buy you. I will. I wouldn't go into those woods. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. Dog's got to walk somewhere, though. I know. Um. So essentially, uh, I'd say the the he what like rips off his arm or starts eating his the older brother's leg or something like that, and he's just there to eat. Um, and his little brother starts going in there to see what's going on, and he sees it happening, he goes to the next caravan and it's like, oh, it's Lil, whoever. Um, and he's traumatized. And while this is going on, and the police start coming out, that Howard happens to be driving by, and he sees Rawhead Rex, like, with a severed head of the older brother. And they're like, he's just like staring at, they're like, the stare down, I feel. Um, and he goes to the police, who are very, I guess, Irish. He's like, yeah, this, this, it wasn't a man. It was, you know, he's about eight or nine feet tall. Uh-huh. Where was this at in the woods? It was a cattle. I know what a cattle looks like, dipshit. <laughs> well, I mean, um, to be fair, he's an American, so. Right. Yeah. And he'd been there for like a month and a half, they had said, already. Just well, driving around, around Ireland. Country. Yeah, yeah. Which is amazing to bring two little kids and your wife, and good for him, right? It's a working people, vacation. Yeah, and so the cops are like, yeah, 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 like, and they're like, okay, you go go tell it to this officer, and I expected them to laugh. Like as soon as they close the door, I expected them to start burst out laughing. And I guess the I wouldn't call a deputy, but you know, not the the head cop sheriff. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, over there they call them inspectors, not inspectors. Yes, he's like maybe we should check this out. Haha, <laughs> no, and he throws his cigar because he's always smoking cigar into his coffee or probably tea. Um, 
And then, you know, he's like, I, he's like, I'm freaking out. I told you guys this. And, you know, no. Um, so he's getting ready to go. Right? He's like, okay, we're done here. I did everything I needed to do. Um, he start, they start driving and, you know, driving through the countryside. Um, I, I think this is, then it cuts back. And they said like the little boy or the teenage boy wasn't talking, but he drew and, and Howard had drew, drew, drawn something as well. And it's like the beast face, Rawhead's face with the glowing red eyes. Like, okay, now we have two separate witnesses saying the same thing. We're we recalling the, in the army. They can talk about the army nonstop. Um, anyway, so going back, they're on the road trip, and little girl's like, I have to go potty. And uh, did you notice what comic the, the son was reading? Secret Wars 2. Secret Wars 2. He was destroying that comic book. <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> it was all bent. They like, probably oh. just picked up whatever was in the, the newsstand at the time. I'm like, that's a great storyline. <laughs> <laughs> um, the little girl has to pee, and they're like, and she's like, okay, go through that field through this gate and have her go by herself. She has to be like, what, six? Yeah. And the mom's like, oh, she has to grow up sometime. Let her go by herself. I'm like, are you insane? Well, yeah, to be fair, she felt like one of those like, like drunk moms. Yeah. <laughs> like, she was not really all there. Yeah, that's fair. Um, that's like, well, she'll grow up, you know, I still have some time and they go out there. She screams, she sees the rabbit and they're at least, at least a hundred feet from the car at this point in time. Um, so the girl screams for the rabbit. Then the mom goes, huh? And she goes over there and they leave the boy by himself. And all of a sudden, you know, they keep looking back at the car. Nothing's happening, but raw heads there and starts attacking the boy. I think drags him out of the car, bites his leg, and then the dad looks back and realizes what's going on there, and then he gets stuck trying to get back through that rusty-ass gate right. to get to his son, and then he just you see a foot in a shoe, and the boy's gone. Right. And now, okay, I was, I was expecting this to be like uh, a save-the-child kind of story. Yeah. Uh, but no, that kid's dead. Yep. This is a very rare child death in a horror movie in this time period. That's never, ever happened. Correct. And, you, can, and, you, know, you can kill teenagers all you want, but you can't kill children. Right. Now, granted, it's not on screen. The no. death happens off screen. I, I still I still adhere that the blob was one of the first child deaths that was like graphically shown on screen, which is like uh, two years after this. That's fair. I'm just, um, I'm just saying it's very rare for a child to even be dead in right. the current storyline. Correct. And I thought, okay, he's going to be alive. And the, and like they cut to the police station. No, he's dead. Oh, all right. I mean, I didn't see a death, so I assumed he was alive. Right. That's what I was like. I was like, okay, this is going to be about saving the kid. I was like, didn't even cross my mind that it would be like, oh, no, he's just dead. Yeah. Um, And the mom didn't seem very bothered by the police station, let's face it. Um, like now, you believe me? Um, like you better, you know, you better fucking listen to me now. All that shit, right? Um, they can't find anything about it. Uh, so Howard goes back to the church, and then he looks at and reads the Latin on there, and he realizes that there's a weapon 
and it like starts laying out the the pictures like okay there's a hand over here in the stained glass there's a hand over here in the stained glass and it's a weapon and this is you know death does not come for fear fear is itself or eats itself or something like that i don't remember exactly what it go out to be yeah no there was yeah there was like a throwaway line earlier when they said that um that the stained glass had been broken and and rebuilt so many times right. that they're not sure what order they're supposed to be in that's why he was like piecing them together yeah um but he realizes there's a weapon to i don't necessarily kill rawhead or put him back to sleep um so uh you know he goes he goes back and he's starting piecing this together um and father o'brien um breaks his camera and just starts being more of a dick to him and you know he's trying to find that and then we get the reverend touches the altar and his hand starts to boil a little bit um but he doesn't give in to obeying uh, i'm gonna go with a pagan demon at this point right <laughs> sure um that's the best thing we can say, right? Uh, but he kind of goes a little bit crazy. And um, Rawhead goes to the church, and he was going to... He meets his now servant, O'Brien. Um, and he's like, hey, I'm yours. And he's like, oh, kill me. I am your, I'm your servant. You can do whatever you want to me. I'm ready to be like reborn in the Rawhead church. <laughs> And essentially, he gets um, yeah, he gets peed on by Rod, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, like, it, like it sort is sort of a like a urination baptism. It, yes, it, it is coming out of his crotch area, but it is yes. definitely not the color of urine, right? That way. Um and. Uh, the reverend sees this and goes, "Holy crap!" <laughs> and goes back and hides into hides in the basement. And Rawhead starts destroying the church inside. Um, you know, he the the parish records were missing. Um, and he started going through them and realizes that there was like almost a book of the dead image of Rawhead in the parish records for some reason. It's a weird thing to have right there, but it was definitely there. Um, and uh, O'Brien finds him, forces him up to be a sacrifice, and like he goes to hold up the cross and it seems to work for a brief second, but then Rod just smashes it, like it doesn't do anything to him. Um, then the police finally come with all their all the weapons they could possibly find. Uh, I would, and then um, he starts carrying. Rawhead starts carrying the Reverend outside, and the police don't want to shoot because he, you know, it's the the Reverend. They don't want to shoot until that happens. Um, and what I'd say, one of the inspectors just like looks into the eyes of Rawhead and just becomes enamored with him, and then becomes like a servant of him as well, like very hypnotized, like pulsing red lights into his eyes. Uh, and then he starts dumping gasoline everywhere and just lights everything on fire. Um. And most of the cops that show up are dead at that point, if not all of them. Um, you know, uh, Howard goes back. He's like, hey, I'm leaving you. I have to go help out because 
Why not? I can do it. I'm the American. Uh, goes to the church, sees that there's something going on there. The Reverend tells him that there's something in the altar that Rawhead seems to be afraid of. Um, he puts his hand there. He starts to put his hand there and just goes red, and he uses like a candlestick to pry it open. And he realizes that the weapon is inside that is used to uh, kill Rawhead. Um, you know, Rawhead's lackey or his Renfield essentially, because he almost has like the Renfield type of laugh <laughs> with with Rawhead. I'd say. Um, goes to tell him, and you know he tries to use what how try to use weapon, but doesn't do anything. And then Rod goes, "Okay, I'm gonna rip out O'Brien's throat with my teeth." Sure, why not? I think he was like trying to like recharge or something, something like that. Yeah, I mean, he, it, it's been a, it had been like a whole ten minutes since he ate. <laughs> right. Um. <laughs> um, and you know, Rod's about to kill Howard, and his wife shows up. And it has to be a woman's touch. That the weapon only works when a woman is wielding the weapon. And so, like, a light comes out of it. And, like, a stone figure. It's like a stone, right? The Sheila and a gig. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't just make that up. It's like a, it's a, it's a pagan um, idol. Yeah. It's supposed to be like of a mother and it, it's it's kind of like a rough form of like a very um kind of curvy woman and it always has like a a vagina symbol on it somewhere which is what it had and had that like that's the stone. oval right 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 or the, or the gem or something of it right or comes right. Out, the light comes out of that correct so vagina blasts kill yes. or draining rawhead's energy um and the kind of the ground opens up i'd say no, eh. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it like opens up bit. and like swallows him. Basically. Yeah, and then he just you know falls and drops a weapon in with him, and then giant stones are kind of uh crushed. So what Rawhead is defeated by vagina blast from an idol. <laughs> Correct. Uh yep, and they think it's all done, and then um the the Teenage boy goes, puts flowers on his older brother's grave, and Rawhead appears from the ground and roars. End of movie. <laughs> right. The, the pagan demon is still around. Apparently. But the since Americans that was in 1986, then he hasn't done anything since, I'm pretty sure. You're saying it being 37 years later, we don't have a sequel yet? It might be an end of the story? Yeah, I'm saying that. I'm pretty sure that <laughs> nothing came of them coming out of the ground. Maybe he ran out of energy and fell back asleep. Maybe. I mean, it's a small town. How many people can it eat? There's like 30 people in that town. <laughs> exactly. Or maybe he ate all of them and then couldn't make it to the next town because he needs to eat every 10 minutes. So. Yep. <laughs> That's also possible. Alright. Uh, like I said, this is definitely the first time seeing this. I knew the name. I, I remember seeing the name, as you said, in the Search of Darkness. You know, 10 hours of them that we've watched so far. Right. It, it came up, and it's just funny that it never came to one of our video store pickups, as we discussed many, many times growing up. I don't know if it's just because it was released in Ireland. I don't know if it was even released in the United States. Uh, I I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know. I don't remember seeing it. I mean, I don't remember. The name didn't sound 
familiar to me at all. I mean, yeah, when when I heard it, I was like, oh, that's a goofy name. But like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have remembered that. Yeah, but no, yeah, I don't. No, I'm looking up. Yeah, it's it UK release, very limited release in the United States. We got VHS, apparently even DVD, and we have a 4K res- restoration of it. Yeah, I saw that oh. when I was yeah when I was looking to watch it. There was I saw that there was a 4K of it. Wow, I mean, yeah, but I mean, it it did to me. It felt like a Clive Barker story, like the the whole religious aspects of it, the whole that creature feature of it. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I I think it was it, it was definitely an eighties movie. Let's go with that. Yeah. No, I I, I wish I would known about this earlier. I mean, I'm definitely going to watch it again. What about you? Um, I don't know if I need to watch it again. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was good watching it. You know, the first time it was interesting. You know, to see like an early adaptation yeah. of Clive Barker's work. But I mean, that yeah, nothing, nothing that blew my mind or anything. <laughs> I mean, do you, it seemed like your type of movie, though, if you had known about it in the 80s. Oh, if I had seen it in the 80s, sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would watch any kind of, you know, goofy creature feature back then. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, as of now, it's, like I said, it's it's not bad. It's good. Um, yeah. But it's not fantastic. Right. Um, Highlights for me is, I, I really do like, the, the the lore behind Rawhead Rex, the idea that's a pagan deity that existed in Ireland, that it was, existed in this holy ground, because it did happen. This is a factual thing that happened, not Rawhead, but churches being built on other holy grounds. Um, and just not knowing the mystery of it, that you never know what was there previously. And, you know, if that book was written like that, I would definitely read that book. How about highlights for you? Uh, highlights for me would be the uh, urination baptism. <laughs> it was very like surprising and out of place, and like the way that they shot it, it looked like like they interrupted a private, intimate moment. <laughs> like they both looked back. Like even Raw had Rex and the priest both looked up. Like oh, like oh no, they caught us. Like that kind of. It was very goofy and bizarre, but it made me laugh louder than anything else. Oh, also having the gall to kill a kid. Well, yeah. I mean, that's again, it's it's rare. I mean, yeah, they didn't yeah. show the death, but yeah, I know it's extremely rare for a child to die in the course of the story, and then it stays, especially dead. by a creature. Like kids right. usually die of something else, usually not by the villain. Well, usually when kids die, that's the point of the story, right? It's the catalyst, right? Usually, this is just a a casual child death. Right. Well, I mean, I guess it's to keep that guy in the town, but still. Yeah. Yeah. So, poor kid didn't even, doesn't even know how Secret Wars ends. I mean, exactly. <laughs> uh, low points. <sighs> Creature effects. It was just a rubber mask. Let's face it. Um, I I think I mean for what it was, it was good, but. It could have been the creature effects could have been a little bit better, and 
I'd say this has practical effects too. It's like he like bites his neck, but it's not like oh, there's a chunk missing. It's okay, he has a bloody neck. Well, yeah, it was <laughs> when Ra had Rat goes to bite his neck. His neck, it literally like just like squishes the mask against his face. Like it doesn't, right. it doesn't like move <laughs> a jaw or anything. It just like right. squishes against him. Like the, the the mask doesn't really like move. Yeah, and another little point is the kissing. Well, yeah, in this movie. What about you? As, my low point is just the wife's acting. Just overall, she like she <laughs> like basically felt like she did not want to be there at all, and she was just like casually like saying her lines as if she was like drunk at a dinner party, just trying to get first people to go away. I mean, it's fair. <laughs> what do you, well, you don't think the kissing was a low point of the? Sucking face. Well, I mean, it made me laugh. So, I mean, I don't know if it, if it's a low point at all. But yeah, obviously, I noticed how bad it was, so it had to be bad. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, for this week, our out of tens, we're doing number of tribes of the moon out of ten, and we'll get to that with the next movie. Um, I, I'm gonna go with this is it's not the greatest thing. Ever, uh, I'm going to six. How about you? How many tribes of the moon out of ten? Are you giving this? Uh, I will give it uh, five. Five tribes of the moon out of ten. Okay. Not, nothing, not, nothing fantastic, but not upset that I watched it. No, no. I just it was it was kind of like hilariously bad. Correct. <laughs> not like. Oh, I hate myself for watching bad, but hilariously bad. Campy. It was campy. Let's go with that. Correct. All right. Why don't you take us into our next movie, then? Next two movies, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to take both of these just because I've seen um, both versions of both of these movies and uh, have done a lot of research into the different versions of them. Um, so it just makes more sense for me to do that. Um, yeah. I, will, I will preface it by saying um, this recap and review is specifically going to be about the director's cut i know the director's cut did not come out until 2014 but i believe it's it's the much more superior version of the film uh, the theatrical version isn't bad obviously i loved it when it came out um i just think that the director's cut really does um add a lot to it um and it's not not only does it add stuff in because i mean most director's cuts they like they add in uh, deleted scenes right they like just basically extend the runtime but the core of the movie is the same right um now what no nightbreed specifically uh, lord of illusions to a to a lesser degree but nightbreed specifically it it really uh adds a lot i mean the 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 runtime is i believe like an additional like 15 20 minutes it's two it's a two-hour movie right it's 15 to 20 time. right it's 15 to 20 minutes but in the movie there's about 45 minutes of new footage so that tells you the amount of stuff that was recut, moved around, changed, <laughs> stuff like that. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that are different. Specifically, the director's cut, things flow a lot better. It makes more sense why people are doing the things that they're doing. Um, and this was because, you know, obviously this is Clyde Barker was, you know, kind of a, not really a well-known director in the studio, kind of had tried to have a lot of control over what he did. Um, and he would, he basically made the changes saying like, okay, well, you, I'll make these changes as long as you let me release my director's cut later. And they're like, oh yeah, sure, sure. No problem. So that's why all this, all the, all the, uh, footage was kept was because he had always planned to do that. Um, they just never let him. 
Um, So then when it came around in 2014 and they're like, okay, you know, we can do this now. He's like, Hey, here's all the stuff. Let's redo it. And he was involved from like the very beginning. Like he was watching the whole thing. Uh, But this is like really his director's cut. This was his original vision of the movie. So it explains Um, why I don't, I remember everything on this rewatch because I watched the director's cut. Right. Right. Yeah. The director's cut again is um, like I said, the spirit version of the film, but it really does add a whole lot. Um, the major changes are all at the end. Um, but again, it's, you still get to the same place. It's just things happen in different orders and different characters survive and some die, blah, 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 whatever. We'll get there. Um, but, uh, yeah, this basically, I just, I feel it's the superior version of the film. They're both good. I mean, I, again, I love the theatrical cut up until that point, but I just prefer the director's cut anyway. Okay. Okay. Start recap. So, um, Basically, we're introduced to a a couple. Um, there's a guy whose name is is Boone. Uh, I think his first name is Aaron, but everybody just calls him Boone. Yeah. Um, and he is basically kind of like a, he's like a mechanic, but he's kind of like a you know like a rebel kind of person. Um, his girlfriend, uh, her name is Lori. Uh, she is a musician. Um, the cool uh, singing number that she does. Uh, that is not in the original version. That is only in the theatrical. Okay. The director's like, cut. Uh, that is the one thing that people complain about in the director's cut, saying, "Why did you add this back in? <laughs> you should have just <laughs> left it out." Um, but again, he wanted it to be in there. I guess it was a establishing shot that he wanted in there. But in the original theatrical cut, that singing thing is not there. Explains why I didn't remember that. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, so yes. Yeah. So anyway, they're like in a relationship. You know, they're in love, kind of the young love kind of stuff. Um, but it, it's kind of alluded to that Boone had some some mental problems um, before. He's having these bad dreams about uh, people that look like monsters and this place called Midian. Yep. Um, and he had gone to a psychologist to talk about these things, to go over it. Um, that doctor is uh, Dr. Decker, played by David, David Cronenberg himself. Yep. <laughs> um, Big role. Right, yeah, surprising movie. for him, yeah, but yeah, that's yeah, David Cronenberg as an actor, uh, with with uh, Clive Barker himself directing. Um, anyway, so uh, basically, you know, this doctor helped him through all that stuff. He's been kind of uh, better, for lack of a better word, for the last several months. Um, so what happens is, is Decker uh, keeps calling him, telling him like, "You need to come in. We need to talk." And he's like, "You know, okay." But I'll, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it. Um, so, you know, they show him like, you know, uh, you know, living his normal day to day life, him and Lori in love. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, he goes in to see the doctor. The doctor basically tells him um, that all the things that they talked about back when they were discussing his dreams, he thought they were just dreams. But it looks like he did them for real. And he pulls out all these pictures of crime scenes. And he says, now, on these tapes that I recorded of you, you described all of these scenes exactly. Like you thought they were just dreams, but apparently they were real. Here's the evidence right here. And so he's like, oh, my God. Well, you know, like, this is crazy. I don't remember any of this, but like, you know, you're the doctor, so I'll believe you. Right. So the doctor goes, OK, well, you have 24 hours and then I'm going to tell the police because I have to. Um, but, you know, until then, your life is yours. And he's like, here, take these pills. Um, they'll help you get through it. So he takes, he starts guzzling down the pills uh, and he starts like having all these crazy hallucinations. He starts seeing like, like his girlfriend and different versions of himself, like as ghosts in the apartment. And like, you know, he starts seeing all the monsters and Midian again and all this, all this crazy stuff. 
Um, and he ends up going to uh, the show to see her sing. Um, he kind of tries to like decides that he should stay away from her because he's in a bad state. And he just like starts like running down the street. Uh, they eventually pick him up, bring him to the hospital um, where they tell him like, yeah, you're not like these pills you've been taking are like lab hallucinogens. Like you're like bad tripping, right? Like this is, that's why that's what's happening to you. You're not going crazy. So you're being drugged. And he's like, Oh, okay. So he starts thinking like, this is, that's odd. Like this is the doctor gave me these. Um, and then right. when he's in the hospital, he meets this other guy. Um, who also is like, you know, kind of pining to get out of this place. And he's also talking about Midian. So he goes and he's like, oh, you said Midian. The guy's kind of real standoffish with him. Um, anyway, and so he, he thinks that Boone was sent from Midian. And he's like, oh, that's a test. I, I get it. I'll pass the test. And he picks out these little like thumb knives. And he essentially cuts the skin off of his head. He leaves his face in place, but he like cuts the skin off of his head, like his scalp and side of his face and everything. Um, Which I just want to point out, if they're in a psychiatric ward, how the hell did that get in there? <laughs> well, I don't think, uh, I mean, it was like a, a psych ward, but it was like a psych recovery ward. Okay. And like, if they didn't have anybody watching, the doors weren't locked. It wasn't like a real psych ward. But, but like, I, I was confused. Like, how the hell did he get those in there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, if it was a real psych ward, yeah, they'd be locked down and none of them would have even shoelaces. They were still in their normal clothes. So it was yeah. not, it was not a psych ward. Anyway. Um, so yeah, so he does that Boone kind of like, you know, escapes, uh, Dr. Decker is there with the police to arrest him. Cause he hears about him getting picked up. Um, and because of the whole thing with the whole face, you know, getting peeled off and everything like he Boone kind of escapes in the confusion. Um, Dr. Decker sees him escape, but, uh, goes in to talk to this guy anyway, you know, convinces the cops that he should talk to him alone. Yeah. Um, and at this point, um, around this point we basically discovered that dr decker is um a serial killer like he puts on this like crazy mask that's like he's got like like this strangers strangers mask yeah yeah yeah, he's it's like a it looks kind of like a scarecrow mask where it looks like it's made out of like skin or something and he's got like buttons for eyes and like the zipper mouth that's like weirdly off center very off center (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's a weird looking mask um but yeah that's what he wears when he kills people um, and so not only does he like torture this guy to get the location of, of Midian because he knows that that's where Boone is going to now go because that's the only place he's been talking about. Um, but also um, he, they show him like breaking into a house and just murdering a family. Yes. Like mom, dad, kids, all that. Yep. <clears throat> um, so essentially Boone runs to, Midian, which turns out to be like this graveyard in the middle of like a mining town in the middle of nowhere. Um, so he goes into like this graveyard and he's like, you're looking around trying to find out what's, what's going on. He can't find anybody, you know, can't get in any of the tombs or anything. So he just kind of sits down and kind of falls asleep. Um, he wakes up at night and then there's a guy with like, uh, there's two guys. One guy's got like flesh dreadlocks and he's like, he, oh, it was all red. It's almost like, he looked like Ivan Ooze from the Power Rangers movies or Wishmaster. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But again, he's got like fleshy dreadlocks yeah. uh, and he's like red and he's got like yes. sharp teeth. Uh, then the other guy is like, I call it the half moon guy. Because um, he's got like, yeah. like a, a, you know, kind of a forehead that comes out and a chin that curls under. So it looks like his whole head is like a half moon. Kind he of almost belongs in Basket Case 2 and 3. <laughs> Right, 
Right. But yeah, he's like the he's like the the more practical version of that crazy yeah. thing that was in Batman. <laughs> um so anyway, so um you know, he's like basically calling Boone meat. Like, you know, he's a regular guy cuz Boone like knows about Midian and knows about them. Um you know, cuz he's seen these people, the monsters in his dreams. And they're like, "Oh, you're just a normal person. Like you can't be one of us. Like you're just meat." And then he gets yeah. all like jazzed up and bites him. Yep. Um, and you know he's like got this big like bite wound on his on his neck, and they essentially chase him out of the graveyard. Um, and as they chase him out of the graveyard, um, the police are there um, because Doctor Decker again tortured that guy to find out where Midian was. Um, so they were all sitting there waiting. So he so Boone walks out. Uh, Decker, you know, is like, "Oh, I'm the only one that knows how to talk to him. I'll go up and talk to him." Goes up to talk to him. Um, basically, you know, tells Boone like, you know, sorry, but this is what has to be. And then he says, oh, he's got a gun. And he jumps out of the way and all the cops shoot him. Kill yes. Him. Yep. So I don't know. Gets shot 30 times, whatever it is. Um, so he gets, um, you know, basically taken away, put in the morgue, whatever. Um, then. Uh, so Lori, his girlfriend, comes in, identifies the body. You know, she's all distraught and crying and stuff. Uh, but then, of course, he wakes up. <laughs> You know, from the morgue, he escapes. He gets back to Midian. Uh, essentially, is like, "Oh, you're one of us now. You came back. Now you're now you're one of the Nightbreed." So now yep. we get introduced to all of the the Nightbreed. Well, not all of them, but some of them. We get introduced to the guy with the weird cuts in his face, who's like their leader, who's Doug Bradley. Yes, Doug Bradley. <laughs> and his name's like Lylesburg. I don't. It's a he's got a really weird. Yeah. Name. Yeah. Um, another another interesting fact is uh, in the director's cut, Doug Bradley has his own voice. In the theatrical version, they didn't like that he had a, a British accent, so they dubbed him with an American oh. accent. So again, this is another thing that makes his director's cut superior is they gave Doug Bradley back his own voice. Um. So anyway, so he, he you know he's in there now, so he gets accepted as one of them, right? Um, he kind of gets like his little initiation kind of thing. One of us. One right. of us. Right. Um, so then we cut back to uh, basically Dr. Decker knows that he's gone and is like trying to figure out what to do. Uh, Lori also kind of finds out that he's gone um, and she decides to go find this Midian as well because, you know, obviously she had conversations with him about Midian she knows about. So right. she goes to the area. She doesn't know exactly where it is. Um, so she goes to the area. She meets um, this lady in a bar. Um, they get to chatting because she's like crying. Um, anyway, so she's like, okay, well, I know where Midian is. I'll bring you there. You know, we're we're commiserating over men and stuff, whatever. You know, as two women working together, we're going to go the next morning. Um, so Lori goes to bed. Sherland stays up and meets this fancy, sophisticated guy who we don't see at the time. Um, but we, we go on. So the next morning, Cheryl Ann is, is very hungover eating like the, the egg and Worcestershire sauce hangover cure thing that some people insist on. It looks disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so they go to Midian, which is again, just a graveyard. Um, and like, uh, Cheryl Ann just waits at the car and then Lori goes inside. Um, and then as Lori goes inside, uh, we see another car pull up uh, and a guy gets out and she's like, oh, it's Curtis, the guy I met last night. And it's Dr. Decker. So Dr. Decker kind of, you know, 
is hanging around trying to find out who is going back to Midian. He finds them. So now he's watching anyway. Uh, so Lori goes in and she sees like this weird kind of like monster thing on the ground. Yeah. Um, and it looks, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It looks like a puppet or something. Yeah. It's a crab person. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like a little, like, the, like it looks like a, a dog puppet person or something. A dog know. crab. <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway, but it's like obviously in pain and can't move. Uh, but she goes over by it and there's a lady calling from one of the tomb doors. Like, oh, you know, pick her up, bring her here. Uh, she's like, don't be scared. So she picks her up, brings her there. Um, and the, the thing transforms into a child. Yep. Uh, basically saying like, uh, you know, you know, she can't go in the sun. Um, it hurts her. You know, if she would have stayed out there for too long, she would have died. Thank you for saving her. Um, and then she's ba- you're basically like, is this where Boone is? <laughs> and essentially they're like, she's like, uh, well, I can't really answer that. You have to go talk to the leader guy. So she goes to talk to Doug Bradley. Yep. Um, and Doug Bradley says like, yeah, uh, well, even if he was here, um, you know, you can't come in. It's like against our laws, right? Like normal you're, people you're, can't you're come average. in. You're, right, you're yeah, average. Right, yeah. Normal people can't come in here. This is only for Nightbreed. Sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. Um, so she leaves. She goes back out to the car. Uh, she finds Cheryl Ann murdered. <gasps> yeah, shocking. <laughs> um, so she runs, she runs uh, you know, back into Midian, chased by Dr. Decker. Um, she runs back into the... Uh, the tomb. Uh, but now Dr. Decker has like verification that um, Boone is there. So he runs off, you know, basically back to, well, he goes and talks to that weird gas station guy, but essentially goes back to the police right. to try to gather up people to go attack there. Uh, meanwhile, uh, when she goes back in there, um, they say, well, where is Boone? And he's like, well, you can't talk to him. He's, he's down talking to our God. who's baffle right. May. Um, so she's like, whatever, I'm going to go down there. And now, now we get this like uh, menagerie of freaky people because she's walking through the night breed, like the place where they all live. Um, yeah. So we get like, I don't know, there's like weird looking like bone worm people. There's Amat- amorphic blobs. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's I mean, there's like yeah, people with like weird bug faces. I mean, there's all kinds of like weird, weird people. Right. I, I would say a lot of them are demon esque as well. Yeah. Or like, yeah. like the. Uh, Devorians from Star Wars, the Satan-looking creatures. Yeah, <laughs> the race. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. There's, yeah, there's the, basically every kind of freaky, weird people you can think of. She meets down there, and one guy so mutated he has tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um. So she meets a guy that kind of, sort of looks like Boone, only it turns out not to be Boone. It's just a dude with a bug face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, basically gets lured in by uh, the guy with the cutoff head i don't know like he's got his face his name is narcisse i'll just call him i'll just call him narcisse because i guess that's easier but that yeah. narcisse is the guy that that boone met in the hospital that cut off his scalp and whatever um and and narcisse died as well but he came back and when he came back he came back as nightbreed the same way that boone does yep to where they had to die to come back but when they die and come back now they're like uh immortal ish you know it's, it's like one of the it, tribes yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, they call themselves the tribes of the moon. Um, and th- yeah. they all look totally different like this, essentially, because um, they're all the different, like, kind of offshoots of humanity 
that had been hunted by the pure strain of humanity throughout the ages. Um, right. So now they have to like hide in this little place underground away very, from all the people. Very, very Futurama mutant underground. Right. Feel. Yeah. <laughs> right. Kind of. Yeah. Like the Morlocks. Um, yeah. Kind of situation. Right. Um. So. Yeah, so yeah, that that's where they get the tribes of the moon. So they're, they're all these different tribes. So there's like you know shapeshifters and just weird looking people and some people that look normal only they're like immortal, yeah. um, like Boone. Like, but he get, Boone looks normal except when he gets like sees blood and then he turns into like a he gets like these weird runes on his face or something. Scar scarred runes on his face, yeah. right? But I mean, he still looks kind of sort of normal because some of, some of those people are like just weird, crazy. Basket case. Too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, essentially. Anyway, so she goes down um, and she manages to get all the way down to Baphomet and she meets um, Boone down there. Uh, basically, Boone had gotten a vision that they're going to be attacked and that everything's going to be destroyed and that he's going to be the one that has to lead them out of there. Because there's a prophecy painted on the walls, right, right, and there's like literally it shows the the red the the flesh dreadlocked red guy biting, biting him. him. Yep. Uh, unless, I mean, it, it's like you know this is the real prophecy kind of thing, right? Um. So yeah. So you know their love between the normal person and the night breed is like what's bringing this prophecy to to bear. Anyway. Um. So then we kind of cut back to uh. The police because Boone basically leaves with Lori. Like he's trying to like stop the prophecy from happening by leaving Midian because right. they're coming to look for him. So he wants to get out of there to save all of them. Right. Um, it, it, is this the point to realize they thought he was a savior, but more he was going to be the destructor of Midian? Right. Right. Yeah. And so he basically leaves to try to save them all um, and he gets caught. By the police and he gets thrown in a cell um and the you know dr decker is obviously there right um and he convinces the police chief that you know he has a whole you know group of people that are freaky people that are gonna i don't know invade the world i don't know what they're even they're afraid of people that aren't normal essentially correct and this like the police chief is like i don't know <laughs> He feels like uh, some kind of like a white supremacist kind of dude. Like that's the kind of energy that he has. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, so uh, they kind of torture him to get, uh, you know, more information and stuff out of it. And they lock him up. Um, and essentially they, they decide that they're going to get um, all of the cops that they can together, arm them up and then go on and out there. They arm up. Right. And the, okay, That's... well, here's another thing that was added to the director's cut, like the whole scene where the guy's like showing him all the weapons they have and he brings out the garrote and he starts like licking it and stuff. Yeah. That's all added in the director's cut. Again, it just a lot of things that are added in, like you get that weird cop energy from that just really that specific scene. Right. Like that's the where you get the energy of like how weird and crazy these people really are. Um, and that's, I think, like I said, that's why I like the directors because it just adds a lot more anyway. Well, it, it shows, it shows that the normals are the freaks, the weirdos, the violent right. ones. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like everybody's a freak. There's just some freaks that label other people freaks and then try to get yeah. them. Yeah. Right. Essentially. Yeah. Right. You got it. 
Um, so yeah, they arm up. They're all going, you know, get all the good old boys in their pickup trucks. You know, oh, all they got the a lot of good old yeah, boys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they all load up and they're all going to Midian to take them all down. Um, so then we have Narcisse, um, the lady who uh, uh, Lori helped uh, her daughter. Yep. Um, who is like a shapeshifter that can change into smoke. Yes. Um, so Narcisse and her are in this like old timey car that has like shaded windows so that like none of the sun can get in. Um, and then they go uh, to the the police station. Um, can, I, can I just say it's it felt very the monsters esque <laughs> <laughs> with that whole driving part of it. That's fair. That's fair. It was a little goofy. <laughs> yeah, I give you that. I'll give you that. Um, yeah, so basically they break Boone out of prison because all the cops are gone. So there's only a couple left. Um, you know, she well, like also, changes I'll, in. Yeah. Go ahead. Also, also like when the doctor. You know, it's like after they torture him, like, you have to verify it's okay. He's like, I can't find the pulse. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, he's dead. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So that, yeah, that's essentially why they get all the big guns out is because yep. of the, the no pulse things. And like, oh, there's yep. zombies. We need to get the big guns. Yeah. Uh, but anyways. Okay. So they, uh, so Narcisse, uh, Rachel is the smoke lady uh, and Lori and Boone, break Boone out, uh, get him in the car. And they go back. Yep. Um, they managed to get there like right as the the battle is starting. Um, so basically, everybody's just killing everybody, right? I mean, well, they're just I, I don't I don't I don't think the the people of Midland were doing any damage at this point. Well, no, yeah, at this point it was not looking good. <laughs> as a slaughter, okay? right? Yeah, they were getting all destroyed. The good old boys have like assault rifles and RPGs and stuff, and they lit- had literally set up like claymores and and like, all kinds of stuff. It was it was bad news, right? Because a pr- they brought a priest, right? Almost blows up the entirety of it, right? Yeah, they the bring a wire. right. They bring a priest like purely from a weapons aspect, saying like, "Well, I, we don't know if these freaks are demons or not, so maybe we'll need a priest to throw holy water at them." Like that's yes. li- literally why they brought the priest. They don't care about. Religion. But he he comes back later into play. Well, yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. that's why they originally <laughs> brought him was just as a weapon, right? Um. So yeah. So there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's lots of scenes of you know the Nightbreed like just getting slaughtered, and most of them are still hiding. Like they're not really doing anything as of yet. Um. Right. Boone kind of gets there. Um. He helps them fight, and essentially he like kind of riles them up. Like, hey, we have to fight back. Like, if we don't do something, they're gonna kill us all. Like, we're trapped down here. Obviously, he gets some of the more capable people. Um, he, like, gives them weapons, which are literally, like, boards he, broken out of coffins. Yes. They'll, they will never take our freedom. <laughs> right. Um, that was yeah. the rally speech. Right. So, <laughs> well, they take down a couple of good old boys, and then they get guns, you know, yeah. immediately. Anyway, yeah. and then, they, you know, then this starts being a little bit even. The good old boys are still winning. Oh, yeah. Um, so it gets to the point where, um, like, a, a truck falls down into the actual belly of um, Midian. Um, so, like, everybody's exposed. All the good old boys are down there killing kids. You know, everything everything's going badly. Um, so they decide that, okay, well, we have to let out the berserkers. The berserkers are, like, the, the, the tribe of the moons that are, like, they're so crazy and violent that they have to keep them locked up. Oh, berserker rage, yeah. Right, yeah. So they like they literally can't get out because they can't even be around other people without trying to murder them. So they're like, well, we got to let them out. Um, yeah. So Doug Bradley goes down there to try to let them out. He dies in the process, um, but Boone manages to finish the process and let them out. Um, and they basically kind of turn the battle. Yeah. Because they're like immune to bullets and essentially just start killing everybody. Yep. Um, so at this point, now, now here's where a lot of changes happen. 
from the theatrical version to the to the um the director's cut um in the d- director's cut uh the original one is decker goes in with everybody um he tries to kill uh lori but she manages to get away and he apparently kills narcisse but he kills him off screen so when he finally finds boone he has narcisse's head right um, you know and then basically they start fighting um dr decker does stab uh boone through the chest but because boone is now like immortal ish <laughs> uh he survives um, yeah, so basically just a, just, a, just a scratch to him at that right point. <laughs> yeah so he basically yeah, pulls the knife out uh, with the help of lori and then just kind of throws him to his death off a cliff yeah um and the director's cut that's it <laughs> dr decker <laughs> is now out of the story right yep. um so at, at this point baphomet um, the priest goes down there sees that baphomet is like a real god to these people um and he goes to try to like you know find out what's going on and and the Baphomet sees him as a threat, splashes him with its, I don't know, the devil's holy water. I don't know what you even call it. Yeah. Um, and so basically turns him into like a, a freakish. I don't know if he's Nightbreed or not, but he looks like a, a freak after that. He he looks like uh, the leader from uh, MCU. Right. The right. giant head. Brainiac. Right. Yeah. For, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Essentially, he leaves. Um, and then uh, basically. At this point, Boone is basically gathering everybody else together. Um, they, you know, they basically have to try to figure out a way to save Baphomet and move him to the new Midian, wherever that's going to be. Um, and then he's essentially going to have to lead them yep. out, whatever. And then that's 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 basically the end of the movie. Um, now, in the original theatrical version, uh, Narcisse lives. Um, the, the fight between Decker and Boone happens kind of the same way. Um, but at the very end, Decker comes back. Like, uh, the priest sees Decker and, like, I don't for some reason sees him as, like, an avatar of Baphomet or something. Yeah. And he brings that that holy water that he got splashed with and he splashes it on Decker. And then Decker comes back. And then... The priest is like saying, "Like Hallelujah, Hallelujah!" He came back, and then that's the end of the theatrical version, which doesn't hit right. It doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. No. It's, like it's it's very odd, and I'm like, "What is that all about?" But yeah, that that the director's cut is totally done. good. <laughs> yeah, I, again, I, again, like anyone moving forward, watch the director's cut. It is by far a superior version of the film. I'm just giving you a yeah. little bit of insight as to what was added yep. or, or changed. Um, so yeah, so that's it. Oh, I'm sorry. And then uh, when Baphomet gives him, tells him that you're the one that's going to have to rebuild everything, he tells him that his name is now Cabal. That's his new Nightbreed name, and that's yeah. the that was the name of the story that Clive Barker wrote. Is called Cabal, and that's why. Right. Sorry, yep. That's it. I'm done. Okay. What are your first thoughts on this? When you when you do you remember the first time seeing this? Um, I do now. Uh, it's this one of those was like things, 1990. Yeah, this was I probably watched it right around then. It was like around the time it, it would have come out on like TV after a video. So like what back then that was like a, what a year, two years. A year. Yeah, yeah a year, a year, year, year around a right around that time. Now, this is one of those movies that um, I guess it doesn't have this is it's kind of like a product of our time. Right. Um, it doesn't happen too much anymore because. If, you, if you're ever watching something, you're like, huh, I wonder what this is. You literally hit pause or whatever. Look at what you're watching and it'll tell you the name of the movie, right? 
there. Right? Yeah. Now, when I watched this movie, um, I watched, I didn't see it from the beginning. I didn't know what the name of it was. And I essentially, I missed the whole beginning part and just saw like the crazy war that was happening between these monsters and, and the cops. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, what is this? And I never got the name of it. I never knew what it was. And it took me years. It was like one of those kind of movies that you're like, you tell people about. And they're like, I don't have no idea what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. For like years. And you're like, man, I I need to know what this movie is. Nobody can tell me what it is. This was one of of those movies for me. Um, Yeah. Killer Clowns from Outer Space was one of those movies for me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's like you're trying to tell people, like, I know I've seen it. I've seen a lot of this movie. I just don't know the name of it. Like, you need to tell me what it is. Uh, And I, I. Yeah, no one had ever heard of this. No one had ever watched it. And then years later, um, I've managed to watch it on whatever, some streaming service or something, or it ended up on one of my lists um, back in the old Netflix days when yeah. I was getting discs in the mail. Um, and I watched it and I was like, oh, this is it. I, like, I got so excited uh, when it happened. So yeah, I had watched it around when it first came up, but I had no idea that it was that at the time. I really liked it. I just didn't know what the name of it was. And it wasn't until years later when I actually knew what the name of it was that I saw the entire thing. Um, but yeah. I, yeah, long story short, I loved it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, since this is the first time watching director's cut for me. So it's essentially a new movie to me. Cause I barely remembered most of this. I, you know, it's one of those things. I was probably on like the, the up all night or the monster, vision or you know driving mask or stuff like that mm-hmm. so i never i never it never made my list um i i think we discussed this before is that clive barker stuff never really piqued my interest as as i was growing into horror i don't know why i, I just I, I really just don't know why but um this this movie is good and, and especially with all the after we've watched the hellraisers and the basket case is so close together to this. This is like what if Cenobites, but basket case. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Clive Barker, he does have a lot of like common themes, um, yeah, in his stuff. But yeah, I mean, and and uh, at the time when I really loved these movies, I really didn't know that Clive Barker directed these three movies. I mean, this is the only three movies he directed, but I loved all of them. Um, and I've right. loved them since I initially watched them. We already talked about Hellraiser, how I loved that movie when I first yeah. saw it. Um, and yeah, Nightbreed and Lord Illusions are basically the same. I I honestly feel that probably part of my problem was uh, it, I, I'm going to blame Stephen King movies. <laughs> of I didn't necessarily went after movies that are based off of short stories because they generally didn't turn out very well. <laughs> Uh, for a while, in, in, I mean, yeah, horror. they eventually started getting better, but yeah, for a while there, I could. But at, at this point in time, they were not good. Right? Yeah, <laughs> when that's, Nightbreed came that's out, fair. that's fair. Um, and this is also one of these rarities that I, I don't feel like Clive Barker movies ever made it on the video shelves from the video rental days for me. Because if this was on there, I would have, you know, I literally went through every horror movie. So it was it was kind of I feel obscure enough that it just faded out of most people's memories. Um, and it's fair. And I'd say to me, it never faded out of my memory. But I also didn't know what it was. <laughs> I didn't right. know the name. If I would have known the name of it, I would have loved it and 
and owned it probably, or at least, you know, rented it. But right. Yeah. I just never, I never ended up renting it or, and I never ended up finding out what it was until years later. I mean, not that long later, but yeah, long enough where I didn't and, like it. Yeah. And, and the only thing I could really say, after, essentially, it's just I'll call it a first watch for me because it's new to movie to me, essentially, is how campy the cops got and the good old boys. Like, it seemed like a completely different type of movie at that point for that battle, initial, like, gearing up battle scene. It felt out of place to me. Um, but everything else was great. This is definitely, definitely, I need to rewatch and pay closer attention to this just because of the or how the stars aligned as we discussed earlier this weekend. You know, I was kind of cramming all these movies in as much as I could this weekend, especially today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm definitely going to rewatch again because um, I thought it was good. I think it's something the wife would enjoy too. It's not like Hellraiser esque body dismemberment horror that she doesn't necessarily like the hooks and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, I guess, kind of sort of body horror, but it's just like freaky looking people. Yeah. It's not like things are happening to people. Right. That, she she doesn't like that type of stuff, so Hellraiser generally has always bothered her, but this is like uh, a mutant-ish. They're like, they're they're like the Morlocks in X-Men. Right. Like, 100%, I feel. Yep. What about highlights for you, though? I know, I know it's, you you love the movie. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, highlights for me is just uh, like the lore behind it. I mean, there's got all these different like, you know, tribes that band together, but there's so much like lore there. I mean, obviously, they, they barely scratch the surface on like, you know, all these different people and where they came from and like w- what they can do or, you know, stuff. There, there's only a few of them that they kind of concentrate on. Um, yeah. but there's a lot of people down there. So, I mean, there's a lot of different tribes and a lot of different stuff again there's so much lore they barely scratch they they give you enough to get through this story but there's a ton more i mean it's a crime they never made any more of these or or went into it any further yeah yeah but that's yeah that's the highlight to me is just there's so much rich lore and backstory to it um that they again (laughs) there's really like if you try to look into it there's you know all kinds of worlds behind it right yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. That, um, yeah, it, it's the lore is fantastic. The background of it, and everyone was unique. Every creature was mutants was unique. Like I said, I, I just thought it was hilarious that essentially one guy's mutation was he had tattoo. Well, yeah, there, yeah well, there's, you know, there, there's all kinds of goofy ones. There's like the one guy's mutation is that he has like pockets that he keeps millipedes or big long centipedes in or whatever they he were. He puts around his neck first. Yeah, yeah I know. It's like, okay, yeah. this is not very useful. Correct. But as like I said, every, every X Men mutant, not very useful power. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Like yeah, like the guy with the the skin flaps. Yeah. They can like let his skin grow, and it's like, does it get stronger? No, <laughs> it's yeah. just more skin. Like, oh, that's yep. fantastic. Yeah. All right. So, what about low points for you? Uh, low points is I'm gonna have to agree with everyone else that critiques the director's cut is the the uh, the singing musical scene. That was awful. It is horrible. <laughs> It is. It is not good. The song is bad. Like the the singing, like the lip syncing is bad. Like I, I don't buy that they're a band for a second. 
Um, yeah, but that yeah, that whole scene I just feel is kind of unnecessary. But yeah, I that's my low point as well. It really, really is. And the guy licking the guns. <laughs> that guy's just you know he just loves Dude. guns. Yeah, he was getting a hard on for him. Well, that's uh, yeah, but that's the, that's the point. <laughs> that's the point that that Clyde Berger was trying to make. That all these cops and and good old boys are just like so obsessed about guns and being tough guys and powerful that they don't think to to see what they're doing. Like they're literally just right. killing people that are just trying to live their lives away from them because they're already right. shunned. Right. They they're not doing any harm to anybody. Right. Yeah, you're just critiquing, you know, society. That's all. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So, how many tribes of the moon out of ten is this for you? Uh, I yeah, I don't think it's a a secret that I love this movie. So I'm gonna go um uh, (laughs) nine nine tribes of the moon out of ten. That's that's perfectly fair. Uh, I'm going to eight. As I said, it's just, it it does, this needs to be on my rewatch list. I think it's just one of those things I just forgot about. (laughs) Uh, But that's fair. I mean, and again, there's a lot going on. Um, And if you can imagine in the original theatrical version, do you understand even less of what's going on? Um, Like the, the scene of like why Cheryl Ann is there with Lori is kind of cut out. So you're like, who is this lady and why is she here? Um, I mean, there's yeah. just, it's just very jarring how it goes from like thing to thing, like how Boone gets wrapped up and stuff, how Lori gets wrapped up and stuff. A lot of that is cut out of theatrical version. They're just like, just go, 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 bang, bang, bang. We want to get to these scenes. We don't care about how we get there. Um, so the director's cut means... really kind of holds your hand and like gives you the rest of the story. Where the theatrical version is just trying to rush it out the door. So our laser disc is theatrical because of the director's cut. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Okay. So now I have to go back and watch it on Laserdisc <laughs> separately to watch the theatrical cut again. Right, yeah. I mean, if you really want to, you can see it. I mean, again, this, the movie's still good. I mean, the, the heart of it is still there. Um, yeah. Again, I, I just don't think it, it tells the story as well as the director's cut does. Yeah, that's fair. Um, which is uh, the same thing for our next movie. If you Are you done? Can I, you want me yep, to go I'm done. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, let's say yes. the next movie is, is Lord of Illusions which is uh, five years later 95 I believe yeah, when it came 95. out yeah. yeah well it's definitely a 90s movie yes yes <laughs> it is um, now this movie uh, there's a there's a couple of uh, stories I'll probably get into here but this movie is um, was the same he had the Clyde Barker had the same deal with this that he did with Nightbreed only they actually followed through on it um, with Lord of Illusions, he made it that they made him put out this theatrical cut. They're like, this is what we need to be in the theaters. Like, we need you to get to the point. We need to cut out a lot of this, you know, talky, dialogue conversation stuff. And we need you to get to the meat faster, right? Yeah. Um, and he was like, that's fine. I'll make that version for you as long as you let me make my version for the video release. And they said, okay. But again, instead of Nightbreed, I'm just whatever you're done <laughs> you know you're not getting this version with lord of illusions they did because they literally had i mean they had a different score for the movie i mean they have um i mean just different you know stuff you know filmed and, and cut and everything like everything was made for this to be the final product only they never actually released it in theaters like the director's cut is literally exactly what he wanted the movie to be the theatrical cut is just what the studio wanted it to be um so that's the difference um 
Now, this one is not as extreme as Nightbreed is. Um, there are a lot of, again, you know, different versions of things and stretched out things happening in the movie. There's like, I think, 12 minutes of, of additional runtime. Um, but I think there's only like 20 minutes of changed footage. So not quite as drastic as okay. Nightbreed, but enough to make it interesting. Now, the second story I will share is uh, I, I bought into the there's that that urban myth about how uh, Blockbuster used to to censor their movies. Yep. Uh, which isn't true. I, I, I believed it for a long time. And this movie was the reason why. Because. Oh, I absolutely believed it. Yeah, I did too. I believe it for a long time because of this movie. I had literal proof in my hands. I was like, look, here it is. Um, is when I, w- I rented uh, Lord of Illusions for the very first time. I did not see it in theaters because I didn't have any money back then. Um, the first time I watched it was from Mom and Pop Video Store down the street from my house, right? Yep. Watched it. This is fantastic. I love it. Um, you know, I'll, you know, eventually watch it again. And probably, I don't know, a year ish later, um, we were going to go, um, well, you know, I was talking about it with a friend of mine, and they're like, "Oh, this sounds really good. We should watch it." I'm like, "Yeah, we should." Uh, now, that point in time, uh, the mom and pop video store down the street had downsized. You know, it was starting to move away from mom and pop and towards Blockbuster. So we went to the mom and pop. They didn't have that movie anymore. They had really condensed the movies that they had. They concentrated on new releases, and they got rid of all their old stuff, so they didn't have it anymore. So we went yeah. to Blockbuster, and they did have it. So I'm like, "Okay, great. They have it. Let's watch it." Watched it. Is like, like I discussed earlier with aliens. I'm like, I watched it. I'm like, there's there's stuff missing. <laughs> like there's scenes that I remember that aren't here. How come they're not here? Uh, but it was that like, again, I bought into that myth for a very long time, specifically for this movie. I didn't realize until years, years later that there's just two different versions of the movie. <laughs> I didn't know that. I, and so, you know, Blockbuster had this copy that I rented and watched and the mom and pop version had the other copy of I had no idea there was two different versions. They didn't say director's cut on it. It just said Lord of Illusions. Right. Um, so anyway, so that's why I believed it for a long time because I literally had this proof, but then I'd found out that it's just, they, they did have two different VHSs for the new, two different versions. Um, the laser disc was always the, the director's cut, I believe. Yes. I don't think there's a normal version of the laser disc, but VHS does have a copy of each version. Um, okay. and, and even like the, the DVD Blu-ray releases were all the theatrical releases. Um, they didn't come out with the, the actual director's cut again on Blu-ray DVD until 2014, same year that the Nightbreed thing did, uh, by <laughs> Scream Factory, right? I think, yeah, this, this is the company. Yeah. Scream yeah, Factory. Yeah, they did, they, both they did of, most of those. Yeah. They did yeah. both of the new releases and they both came out that same year. Um, anyway, so that's <laughs> background for this movie, but, uh, Okay, so I'll, I'll go into the recap of it. So essentially, um, we open up on uh, it's like a a desert, right? It's like a you know middle of like you know Nevada desert somewhere. Um, there's like this broken down yeah. kind of derelict house, um, and there's a, a guy, um, guy you've seen from a bunch of movies. I I looked at his name earlier, and I still can't remember what it is because I don't he, remember his name. He was he was in charge of. The military academy at Malcolm in the Middle. Um, that's where I knew immediately knew him from. Right. Well, again, he's one of those guys that he's been in a ton of stuff. He was George's. He was George's boss in Seinfeld, where he had to get the mole removed um, from the pitcher. He was the actual <laughs> cop chief in Super Troopers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like not the not the highway chief. He was the actual cop chief. That's it. Again, he's a dude that's been in a ton of things. 
nothing really majors. I don't remember his name. I'm very sorry, but um, that's him. You'll recognize him as soon as you see. But oh, anyway, absolutely. But this is a, a role <laughs> totally unlike all his other roles. Like this is, and he does a great job in it. I'm very surprised they never gave him any other roles like this, but not that I have seen him. A lead role, nonetheless. Right. Right. So essentially, he's like, you know, he's wearing like this tattered old robe, like his belly's all hanging out. Like he looks very disheveled. It's a crop top. Right. Yeah. So like all the <laughs> like all the people that are there are all like all again very disheveled, but it's obviously a cult situation. Yeah. Um, and he literally has like flames in his hand and he's tossing it back and forth and juggling it and stuff. So like you assume like, okay, he's got some kind of like magic powers, right? Or abilities or something. Um, and so yeah. they, you see these two uh cars speeding through the desert they get to the the derelict house um and then four people get out uh, and essentially like the, the leader is a guy named swan um and he basically says like uh nix who's the name of the you know the magician yep. guy with the fire um he's gone too far he stole a kid um we need to get him back and it's kind of alluded to like these people yep. were in the cult and had gotten out and now they're coming back because he stole a child and they're trying to save that child and stop him. Right. Um, so they, they break into the, uh, to the place, uh, you know, they have kind of, uh, <laughs> incursions with, um, the, the cultists that are inside there. There's one, his, his name is Butterfield. He's very, very creepy. <laughs> is he the well-dressed man? Um, you talking the guy with the, the tight pants. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, yeah, that guy's creepy too. I'm talking about the the like they're almost like religious clothing people in there. Like like you would go to your door and you know, ask you about have you, you know, Larry Saints or Jehovah's <laughs> Witnesses in, in that cult. So you can tell it's like very cultish though in some of them. Right. I would say. Right. Uh but yeah, no, the Butterfield was the guy I think he was he was wearing like hot pants and like <laughs> And like a like a halter top, yeah. Like, and he had like the weird like bleached eyebrows. Um, but anyway, he was he 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 managed to cut one of the the hands of one of the the girls that had the shotgun. Um, like one of the girls, um, just basically, you know, like she's kind of not really in it from the start. You can tell right when she first gets there, she's like, "Is this really necessary?" So you can tell she probably didn't want to really be there. Um, so she gets taken over by the cultist pretty easily. Uh, the other girl gets cut in the hand, and that leads the the two guys, Swan, and then Quaid is the other guy. Um, and essentially, they they find Nix, they find the girl, um, and Nix kind of goes against them to where um, you know Quaid gets knocked out by uh, Butterfield, I believe. Yeah. Um, and then Swan Nix like reaches his fingers inside of his head. And then yeah. tells him like he's gonna let him see the world the way it really is. And then so he like when he looks at his friends, yep. he sees like their skin peeling away, and all he can see is like, you know, flesh and and blood and, and mud and shit, as they say. So he's all like freaking out, like he can't concentrate. He's just like screaming and waving his arms around. Um, to while the other two are trying to figure out what to do, <laughs> um, you know, they're basically kind of frozen, and then the little girl who he had kidnapped manages to shoot him in the back um shoots him in the yes. back comes out of his chest he falls down um when he falls down swan kind of snaps out of it um and then he goes okay you know hand me my bag and he takes all this like weird metal stuff out of the bag and he essentially constructs this weird mask over his face 
and this mask is supposed to bind him. It, like literally, yeah, he drips blood. He drips blood on the screws that then right. self screw into it. Right. Yeah, and they're like literally like screwed into his like skull to hold yeah. him, and it's the supposed man to in the weird. Sorry, the man in the weird BDSM mask. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so they yeah, so they bind him, um, they bring him out to the middle of nowhere and they bury him. Um, because they know that he's not gonna totally be dead. And he wasn't dead, even though he had been shot through the chest, he wasn't dead. That they had to shot, bind him. I think he shot in the chest, shot in like the leg. Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah, yeah. he's shot more than once. Um but yeah, yes. essentially, yeah. So they they know he's not dead, but they're burying him and, and not telling anyone where he's buried. In the hopes that he'll just stay gone. Um, yeah. So yeah, essentially all the uh, the, the cultists just kind of like fade away. Butterfield runs away and screams because he's angry because he's Butterfield seemed to be like the he was he was all in right. He was like the little helper guy. He was kind of like the Renfield. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Um, so then we cut uh, thirteen years later. Yep. Um, we have Harry Demore who shows up in a lot of Clive Barker stuff. Like he's all he's all if there's ever a private detective or, or something, it's always Harry Demore. Um, <laughs> anyway, played by Scott Bakula, who um, yep. yeah at this point was riding high off a of quantum leap. Yeah, and pretty muscular, I must say. I'm just like... yeah, no, yeah, he, yeah, he, he he looks good for this movie. He, he obviously tried. Yeah, you can tell there was going to be a lot of scenes with him with his shirt off, and he wanted to look good for it. Um, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So anyway, so he's like uh, your typical kind of like noir private detective, right? So he's yep. kind of like you know disheveled a bit, um, you know, kind of rough around the edges, but obviously super smart. So his boss comes over and basically gives him a job uh, in L.A. looking for like a guy who like I don't know robbed his company and embezzled money or something and they has to go down there to catch him spending money and it's worth yeah just as yep yeah so essentially he goes to la to to find out um so he goes down to la he's investigating this guy um this guy basically stumbles upon a a dying fortune teller um and then he goes in the guy's like been stabbed i don't know 10 times with scalpels just kind of like few, yeah, sticking out of his body. Um, they they he... must have dragged. They must have dragged his face over a flat surface of scalpels. <laughs> right, as we see, that's how you do it. <laughs> right, yeah, that's how you do it. In the movie universe, that's how it works. Um, so he goes in there. He's attacked by what I can only describe as a skinhead high on meth. Um, or bath salts, yeah. Or yeah, bath salts, <laughs> PCP. I don't know what it is, but he's just like screaming at the top of his lungs and just running and throwing his like whole body at him, like whatever he like. He's beating the shit out of him. He's knocking him out, and whatever he does, he keeps getting back up. Um, so eventually, he right. finally knocks him out, and he gets in the room with the the fortune teller guy. Um, and then we find out that Butterfield is there. Butterfield, uh, he looks a a little bit better than he did uh, out in, in the words. I mean, he's still extremely creepy. I think he turns up the creepy factor, but then he actually like cleaned himself. So he's like, he's clean, you know, he's creepy, but now he's a clean creepy instead of that weird, like kind of feral child vibe he had going before. Now he's just yeah. like a creepy. dude. He's got like the weird kind of like vampire widow's peak haircut. Um, 
Yeah, he's got like no eyebrows. <laughs> he's wearing like a very like tight kind of V-neck shirt back before that was the cool hipster thing to do. Uh, he's got like these like skin tight like orange snakeskin pants. <sighs> yeah. yeah, he's he's odd, odd looking. Anyway, so he's the guy with the scalpels, and he's the guy that actually um, did that. And he doesn't actually attack Harry, but he says a lot of really creepy, weird stuff. Um, basically um, talking about how the guy that's being stabbed with all the scalpels is Quaid. This was the guy that was with Swan when they attacked Nyx. And he's basically trying to get information out of Quaid onto where Nyx is. Um, He talks about some of the other people. Jennifer, who was the girl that got her hand cut, um, she's disappeared. No one can find her. Um, And then he's like, they kind of allude to, you know, Swan, like, you know, everybody knows Swan. But, the, you know, they, they're, they're kind of afraid on him because he's like the powerful one. Right. So, so Quaid is the guy that they're trying to get the information out of. Um, and as he's doing that, uh, crazy skinhead meth head comes screaming in again. Uh, Harry has to fight him again and this time throws him out a window. And it covers him in a sheet and then throws him out. Well, well yeah, he basically yeah, he gets caught up in the drapes when he falls out the window and, and falls, what, like three stories? Yeah, I think it's about three stories. So three stories screaming the whole way down. And when he hits the street, he finally stops screaming. Um, so then, uh, you know, Butterfield has has creeped, crept out of the room during that fight. So he's gone. Uh, Harry's about to go chase after him. But then Quaid calls him back. Right. Um, and he essentially just kind of, you know, tells him that he's going to be a part of this from now on, essentially. Um, and that he, you know, will, will, he's drawn to darkness, and no matter how he tries to get out of it, he's going to be a part of it, so he should try to help. And then he dies. Yep. <clears throat> um, so he goes back and essentially like, okay, well, I caught the guy that was selling the money. This fortune teller thing has nothing to do with me, so he's going to go back home. Um, now, uh, Swan, in, in this you know, new world 13 years later is a very, very famous illusionist. Um, he's like, like the David Copperfield, like everybody knows who he is and he has a show that everybody wants to go to and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Right. He's great. Nobody knows how he does what he does. And he's fantastic. Um, and he's got a wife, uh, played by Famke Jansen. Yes. Um, I think this was the first thing I ever saw her in that I can remember. This is before uh, X Men. Yeah. Yes. A couple of years before X Five years before X Men. Right. So, yeah. So, um, I'm pretty sure this is the first thing I saw Famke Jansen. Anyway. Um, so, she is the wife of Swan, and she essentially hires Harry because she hears about him being involved with Quaid. Um, and she's in on the whole thing that Swan and Nix and all that. Um, at this point, we're not told why, but she knows. Um, so, she essentially hires Harry to find out what's going on. Because with yeah. Quaid being killed and and the Terry's statement to the police, it looks like they're going after the people that went after Nix. And she knows that Swan is going to be next. So she hires Harry to find out what's going on to, before it hits her and Swan. Um, so he uh, starts investigating stuff. Um, and I believe like right after that is where, um, like I think it's that night, um, Swan has a new illusion show. Right. And, and he goes and Harry goes as um, the wife. Dorothea is her name. Mrs. Swan is Dorothea. 
Um, so they're, they sit down and they're watching the show. Um, and you know, the, the beginning of the show is all fantastic, right? He's like doing real levitation and doing like real magic, but everybody thinks it's an illusion. Um, but, uh, when he does like this, like an escape thing from like, it's like a sword of Damocles type thing where like, it's like all these swords in a circle above him. And he has to like unlock his yep. hands and, and head and neck before the swords come down. Um, and essentially he gets his hand and his head out. And then he fails after that and gets stabbed by like eight swords. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> I mean, and they, like they keeps getting, they keep dropping. I'm like, is he dead yet? How is he still alive? Um, yeah. But yeah, he gets stabbed by a lot of swords um, and basically dies. So they shut the show down. Um, and Harry gets backstage, of course, because he's with the wife. Um, and they see the, you know, very clearly dead guy, right? Um, yep. So, and then Harry, when he's kind of investigating around, he sees something underneath the stage. So he crawls down there to see what it is. And of course, it's crazy screaming skinhead meth head again who has survived the fall from the third story and gotten away um so now they're fighting well i mean meth makes you not feel pain right <laughs> i guess <laughs> i said i think it's supposed to be pcp because i think pcp was okay. the big drug in this time period to where it yeah. was like because bath salts weren't around yet <laughs> meth wasn't as big as it is now i think pcp was the big the drug for crazy people Sure, let's go with, yeah, we'll just stick with it. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, so essentially the big showdown with him, the Harry gets the crap beat out of him. Oh, um, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, he gets beat up bad. Uh, but anyway, he does manage to finally shut the guy down. Um, he stabs him with, like, this big pipe thing. That has red sand come out of it. Right, yeah. which was used earlier in the show. <clears throat> Um, so Butterfield was there, um, being creepy as always, um, basically trying to get information out of Harry, but finding out that Harry doesn't really know anything at this point. Um, so he kind of slinks out, um, while they're fighting. Um, at this point, it looks like, um, meth head guy is finally, finally gone. So Harry has right. to check in with the police, um, describe what's going on. Um, you know, and then at this point they, they don't really you know, believe him as to what's going on. Because at this point he said that he's seen this, you know, the meth guy before and he walked away from the, the window and they didn't see that anyway. Um, so they're just kind of like, yeah, we'll take this under advisement, but they're not really, they don't really have any directions to go in. So Harry is investigating on his own. Um, he follows up on the uh, Jennifer, who is the, the third girl who disappeared. Um, he goes back to Quaid's place to search again. He finds his little hidden address book that has her address and phone number. So he goes to find her. Um, yeah, I guess we at this point, um, the guy that works for um, Dorothea, the wife, is a guy named Valentin. Yeah. He's kind of like a butler, I guess. Like a, like a yeah. butler, but like an Alfred butler, a guy that like does everything kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Anyway, so he's been the guy that's been the kind of the go-between between between Harry and the wife up until this point. Um, and then when he goes to Quaid's place, Valentin basically tries telling him that uh, Dorothea doesn't really want him on the case anymore and he needs to leave. Um, he needs to you know stop being involved. He can't do anything else. Did they offer like $10,000 yeah. to go back? Right, yeah. He gave him a buddy. He's like, here's ten grand. You can just go back to New York. And he's like, well, I'm in the middle of this case. Until I hear it from her, I'm going to keep investigating. And he just goes, you know, begrudgingly goes, yeah, whatever. Um, so he leaves. He goes to find uh, 
Jennifer Desiderio is her whole name. Um, she is in a psych ward. Uh, that's why nobody can find her. So he talks to her and he gets more information. Like at this point, he didn't really know about um, that Nix was real um, or that, uh, you know, the whole like Swan was like his kind of. Uh, what do you call it? Apprentice. Right. Or something like that. Anyway, so they get information. He's trying to get more information out of her. She's obviously gets very, very like upset about it. Um, to the point where she runs away and runs in front of a car and kills herself. Um, so he does get a little bit of information, but not quite enough. Right. So he knows that Nix is a real person. He knows that Swan was like his apprentice, but that's it. That's all he's got. Um, so at this point, he's like, okay, well, we know Nix is a magician. You know, uh, Swan was a magician. Hey, let's go to the magicians to try to find more information. Magic Castle. Right. So he goes to the Magic Castle, um, like the literal Magic Castle. Uh, but he's talking to like, you know, a bunch of uh, you know, illusionists and stuff. And he tries to get more information. He ends up pissing off like one of the head guys. Um, and he says, anyone who's talking to him was not part of my crowd. Anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, he tries to like, you know, he's like, well, what about Swan? I heard Swan did real stuff. And this guy was like very upset. Like, it's not real. You know, whatever. He, he gets very upset. He pisses him off and he basically, you know, alienates himself from like the whole Magic Castle crew. Yep. Um, except when everybody leaves, uh, there's a guy that kind of calls him off into the shadows. This guy, Billy. Uh, and he's like, hey, you know. You know, if you ever need anything, let me know. Like, I don't, I don't really like those guys. I know there's more to it, but they won't tell me anything. You know, because I'm locked out. I'm not in the inner circle. Uh, but if you ever need any help with anything, let me know. <clears throat> um, so at this point, he's got more information, but he needs even more. So him and uh, something happens in the meantime. But anyway, we'll just finish up this storyline since we're out of here. Um, yep. Is that him and Billy break into the Magic Castle? Later on, um, to the like locked a, room. Yeah, to like the only three keys, right? Which you know, have okay. access to this room, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah, so they break in there looking for more information. Um, they end up finding a symbol that the crazy meth head guy had carved into his forehead, um, and they push on the symbol, and it opens up this secret passage in the wall. Um, there's a trap that almost cuts off their hands, but they get the files out, and it's like files about Nix. Basically right. showing that Nix was a real magician. Like he could actually do real magic, not illusions, like real stuff. Right. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. So they essentially they um they they get out of there. I think where do they go right after is that oh I think he goes back to um to, to Dorothea to kind of report yep. on everything that he's found at this point. Um, and that, you know, basically finds out that Valentin has been lying to him. Like, Dorothea did not tell him to leave or anything like that. He was just trying to get rid of him. And this is where they bone. Yes. And they bone. Right. And the director's got this boning <laughs> scene is a lot longer than in the theatrical version. Um, yeah. So basically, um, then they get the whole information. Dorothea was the girl that was stolen by Nix to get. 13 years ago. Yeah, yeah. To get Swan to come out there. Um, so she ended up marrying and staying with Swan because, again, Swan saved her. Um, and she knew that Swan was the kind of guy that, you know, he's not really going to have a wife or anything. Right. Right. So she stays with him, not really because she loves him, but because she feels obligated to him. Um, but now that he's dead, she can do what she wants, which is why she bones Harry. 
Right. Um, and then afterwards, like Harry's kind of like walking around without his shirt off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, and, uh, he gets like attacked by like a, like a four, like a bloody ghost or something. I don't, I don't know what the hell to call that thing. Bad, like screensaver from windows 95. Right. That's well, really it, eventually it turns into that when it like, he kind of like folds and infolds himself with like, I guess, I don't know. Like it looks kind of yeah. like paper. But it's like, you know, kind of looks like it's folding in and out of a dimension, but it's like really, really bad CGI. Origami um, paper man. Right, right. But yeah, <laughs> but when he's this kind of there, it's like, yeah, it looks like a weird like blood ghost anyway. Yeah. Um, so this blood ghost like, you know, kind of messes with them and sends like fire snakes after him and like all kinds of weird stuff. Um, but essentially chases him back into the room in the house where his body is apparently still being kept in the coffin. <laughs> Um, right. So, yeah, his body is in the, you know, coffin. Dorothea basically says, like, yeah, it was his wishes not to be embalmed, not to have an autopsy, not to have anyone mess with his body. Just leave it alone and, you know, leave it here. We'll have the wake and then we're burying him tomorrow, I think. Or whatever. Yeah. Said. Um, so essentially, Harry, um, after this whole attack, opens it up. Um, rips his jaw yeah, rips his jaw off the body which like explodes in like you know plaster dust and essentially is like yep it's like a plaster skeleton with like a, a fake skin over it so at this point they realize that swan is not dead right um, swan doesn't actually make himself known at this point in time but they basically figure out that whatever this thing was that attacked him was essentially swan being mad that he boned his wife yep which is i mean i guess not really surprising <laughs> um I mean, right, yeah <laughs> right so the next day they have um the funeral um harry you know i guess you know kind of smartly decides that um he's probably going to try to show up to his own funeral um so he waits around and he basically sees a guy that looks a lot like him um and he chases him back to like this like hidden kind of sewer hideout i guess that's um, fair, yeah. And essentially, it is Swan. Um, he's wearing like a, a fake mustache yep. and a hat. That was his whole disguise. Yes. Um. So he confronts him, and he basically says that, "Yeah, I faked my death so that they would stop chasing me because he was trying to save Dorothea. He was hoping oh, that right. if if his um, you know, kind of investigation ended at him, they would leave her alone and they would stop looking for her. Right. Um. So that's that's essentially why he did it. And then Harry is now saying, like, okay, well, at this point, well, everything's blown up. Like, you know, Dorothea is in severe danger. Nix is coming back. You need to do something. And he kind of sort of begrudgingly agrees, but not really. Right. It's kind of like a nihilistic agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it, so he agrees to help. And at this point, um, Butterfield kidnaps Valentin um, and tortures him because he actually knows where Nix is buried. So he tortures him to find out right. where Nick. They're is. all just trying to figure out where. Yeah, right. Yep. And he also kidnaps Dorothea. Um, so basically, they uh, so Butterfield brings Valentin and Dorothea to where Nix is buried. They dig him up. Uh, he's still there and still alive. Uh, they dig him up. They bring him back to the derelict house in, house in the desert. Um, Harry and Swan are behind them. They find the hole. They find Valentin still in the hole. Um, Valentin doesn't last long, but he says, you know, basically, yeah, they got him out. Um, you know, Dorothy is with them. You need to go to the house. They want you to to follow them there. 
Right. Um, so they say that. So they go to the house. Um, well, I, I guess there's a cool scene of um, the all the cultists being called back. Um, did you uh, did you watch the director's card? Did you watch the theatrical version? Theatrical. Okay, so you might not have seen the scenes. I'm pretty sure this entire series of scenes is cut out of theatrical version. Is um, all of the cultist people that they had focused on? Um, they show all these cool scenes of them, uh, basically like they show like this guy who's wearing like a mailman outfit, um, and he's like packing a bag. And as they like pull the camera back, you see that he's murdered his wife and stuffed her in the closet. <laughs> um, oh. there's like one of the ladies is like, you know, she's like washing her hands in the, in the sink and like humming a tune. And as you pull out, you see her children with their throats slit in their morning cereal, <laughs> <laughs> um, and their husband is just dead on the floor with his throat cut. I mean, it's like a couple of scenes like that, and they show them like I think there's another scene of like them in the mirror, like literally shaving their head with a knife, like to the point where they're bleeding out of their head. <laughs> just a really, really cool scene. But that that was the scene that made me realize that I was watching a different version because I, I really liked that scene. I really thought it added more, you know. Uh, and it was, it isn't in right. the director's cut and it, or sorry, it isn't in the theatrical version. And if it is, it's very, very short and neutered. Uh, but yeah, I don't think they do that at all. It's just when they go back to the house, the cultists are this already there. They don't show them being called back. Um, anyway, so yeah, so they get all called back. So they, uh, show up to, um, this, you know, house in the middle of the woods. Um, Nick's is basically saved by Butterfield. He takes the, the you know, the metal mask off of his face. Um, Nix is like immediately disappointed that Butterfield is the one that saved him. And he kind of like slaps him away. <laughs> um, he grabs Dorothea because he remembers her that she shot him. So right. he like grabs her and he like goes to the cultist people like, Oh, are you ready for me to return? And they're all like, Oh yes, we're ready. And they like start kneeling on broken glass and you can see like, they all like shaved their heads with knives and they're all like bleeding and stuff. Um, anyway, so he basically says, yeah, I came from the grave. Now I have to give them something back. Um, I'm giving it all of you cause you're not worthy. So he said he kills all of his own cultist people by like making it rain inside the house and making the floor mud. And then they all get like sucked down into the mud. Right. Um, and then he makes like a big, like bottomless pit underneath him that he's like hovering over with Dorothea. Um, but yeah, everybody else is dead. That's when, um, Swan and Harry come in. Um, there's a bunch of fights back and forth. Like Swan fights, um, Nick's, uh, Butterfield fights, Harry. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's kind of all over the place anyway. Um, Nick's pretty much beats the crap out of Swan, like breaks all his bones and stuff, um, gets in his head and basically takes him out. Um, he kind of does the same thing to Harry. He did the same thing to, that he did to Swan earlier in the movie um, to where he, you know, makes him see nothing but goofy, weird flesh and stuff. Um, and then Dorothea, again, is the one that has to, like, save them <laughs> by getting a gun and shooting him in his, like, weird little head. Like he had this, like I don't know, like a little tentacle coming out of his head or something. He, yeah, it was anyway, something like that. Anyway, she shoots him in the head, and that fixes um, Swan and Harry's like head. Um, and they essentially they like right. throw him in the in the bottomless pit he created, and he goes down 
and like lands in lava because it's like that far down. Well, he breaks through like the the mantle of the earth. And then continues to fall into the lava. Right, yeah. Yeah, so he, like, burns in the lava, but then he, like, kind of sort of comes back. And, like, there's all kinds of, like, fire and explosions and all things happening. Um, They do finally manage to to knock him back down in there, and and the hole seals up. And then they all get away from the house. Yep. And that's it. Yes. I think I think so, Swan dies in there though, doesn't he? I think it, yeah. I think Dorothea and Harry are the only ones that make it out. Right, because he, he Swan lifts up Harry to like he lift me like the car, and he like yeah. has like these weird like you know those like uh, sea anemones in the in the ocean that have like those floral like oh animals, right like, yeah, yeah all those come out like, of it like tumors come out of them yeah yeah Nix has like all those come out of him and he like gouges pulls him out of his eyes and that's how, how he falls into the pit yes yeah. well yeah and it, and it is 13 years buried his big uh revelation was that he's he was created to murder the world yes so he just wants to kill everybody so that's why i mean obviously they were going to stop him to begin with but that just gives you extra reason right i don't yeah i don't understand the whole floating thing like make me float like the car like why you were already behind him <laughs> Why do you have to be sure, up in the air? I don't understand. Maybe because he didn't. Well, maybe he's scared to fall in the hole. I guess I don't know. I mean, I mean, maybe that's possible. Yeah. All right. So, what were your first thoughts on it? Um, the first time I saw it is it the very first time I saw it was the director's cut, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, I thought it was great. I think I rented it again after that. Um, and again, it was a year or two later when I was like, I was trying to get other people to watch it and I rented it from black person when I yeah. realized things were wrong. So yeah, I've, I've loved it since the beginning and I watched it probably in 95, right when it came out. Okay. Uh, man, it, I, when I watch this, yeah, I realized I'm like, I have not watched this in forever. <laughs> like I probably watched it at the late nineties. And that was the very last time. It like it slipped my mind completely. And I don't know why. Once again, um, and it's 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 a good movie. It is you know I mean Scott Bakula obviously off the height of you know, the the guy Famke Jensen our first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean I thought it was a fantastic movie. I think it's the the wife didn't watch this with me, but I think something she would enjoy as well. Yeah, you there's know, not man. too much like body horror in it. I mean, there's a little bit, but not a lot. No, no. Yeah, oh, I, I think it was a good movie. I think it's, it definitely is on my rewatch list as well. Yeah, no, this is yeah, this is a movie that's always been <laughs> on my mind. Uh, like I said, this was one of the movies that I uh, again back in the these days I really wanted a laserdisc player because that was the only way you could like easily find the director <laughs> was on laserdisc um and again but you have it, now. it well it's still the easiest way to find it like the, the director's cut because like if you look on sh- any streaming service it's always the theatrical version it's yeah. not the director's cut the only one you get if you get the because it's called like the collector's edition from screen factory which was a limited run um not quite a limited edition like not numbered or anything but it was a limited run they don't make them anymore um that was the only time it came out on blu-ray of blu-ray or dvd of the director's cut was that right otherwise you have to go back to get the right vhs version or the laserdisc version to get the director's cut. 
Um, so yeah, I had to watch, watch that I on Laserdisc <laughs> because that's the only way I yep. can get the the right version. Yeah, I I don't remember if I have this on Laserdisc. Well, I, I think we saw it in the wild, didn't we? And you, I knew you liked it more. No, this was this was one of the very first ones that I bought straight off of eBay. Like it was, oh, okay. it was more like one of the very first ones I wanted to get. I don't know if we, I don't know if we felt ever like seen we saw it, it in the wild. Maybe I grabbed it then. Yeah, if we saw it, you probably did, or at least I told you to get it. I don't know if you did. Uh, uh, nope. Don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think so, but yeah, I don't think that the theatrical version exists on Laserdisc. I think if you find it on Laserdisc, it's always going to be the director's cut. Okay, well now I have to get it on Laserdisc so I can watch the. <laughs> well, I am I am in the process of trying to find the most cost feasible way of buying the uh, the collector's edition because I really want to have like a a good copy of it. Right. Um, but if I give it to you, I'll, I'll or if I if I get it, I'll give it to you. Well, I'll okay. let you copy it anyway. There you go. That works. Not illegally, um, of course. Right. The legal way. Right. So, um. Highlights for you, though. Um, highlights of this, it's again, it's the same thing. Usually all, I mean, I'm going to say this with all Clyde Barker. Well, we've done all three of his movies that he's directed now. Uh, but there's always more <laughs> lore to it. There's always, there's always like more going. You really feel like you just scratch the surface. Like you find out just enough you need to know to get this story to move forward, you know? Right. Uh, but there's still so much more out there. And I've read several of his books that kind of directly relate to Lord of Illusions with the whole magic aspect of mm-hmm. it. Um, and yeah, there's a whole lot more. Um, I read uh, like the great and secret show in Everville, which is like a two parter. Um, and yeah, there's a whole lot more of the whole magic stuff. And there's a whole lot more stories where that came from. So yeah, this movie really just barely scratches the surface of it. And there's a whole world beyond. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It, it's I, I like the I like the play of you know the the head guy at the Magic Castle is like you know all all the saints stuff like that. Any miracle that you ever heard of, give me time, I can recreate it. Yeah, was it yeah. Vinovich? It, it, was his name? I, or something I think. Like that? Yeah, something like that. He's so he's a character actor that you recognize from a lot of stuff too. Oh yeah, I just don't remember place his name. But I think it, I I like the fact that you know, the the world of magic is you know the the I'll say magicians, the illusionists that aren't real versus those that are. Uh, I like that, that back and forth of that. You know, there are people that have powers versus people that just pretend to have powers. And that's always that big debate. You know, they even debate about that in the movie. If you know, you know, the, the big thing about Houdini being like a spiritualist, right? Which is, uh, I don't think that's true because he was like a very anti-spiritual. He was debunker. Yeah, I was gonna say he like would like try to get people having seances and stuff, and he would call them out. Like he was like very anti-spiritualist. Yes. So I was like, when they say yep. like, oh, I heard Houdini no. had spirit guides. I'm like, uh, I'm pretty sure that's not true, but whatever. Well, I mean, he did in the in the in the way that he was. I, I don't think he was trying to necessarily always debunk i think he's looking for the real deal but he saw all the charlatans out there so he's getting rid of the charlatans to try to find that real deal because he was obsessed with death yeah that's fair you know what i mean so i think that's why he was debunking he's like you're not real you should stop it you're not helping anyone right 
And we need people like that, let's face it. Yeah, we do. So, uh, what about low points for you? <laughs> low points is, I mean, very obviously the CGI in this movie yes. is very, very bad. Uh, I mean, to be fair, this is like 95. This is like, yep. you know, the dawning of CGI. I mean, if you have like a billion dollars, you can make it look decent. But they right. didn't have a billion dollars, so it doesn't look very good. Um, I mean, there's kind of limited uh, uses of it. I mean, it's really only like when Swan's attacking him in the house is the big use of it. Um, but yeah, it's very, very obvious that it is extremely early, early CGI. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that low point. It was awful. It, it takes it out of the movie. And you know, you talk about, we, we always talk about like George Lucas, you know, doing the special editions. This would be so much better if they were able to go in there and, and have it be what they wanted it to be. Right. And just throw it on the, like a 4K. I think if you can take, if you could do it right, the movie would be damn near perfect <laughs> without um, that taken away. That's fair. I mean, yeah, but I mean, literally on the, on the, um, uh, the director's cut, like, I mean, Clyde Barker talks about the whole thing of like, this is the version of the movie. I made right. <laughs> the other version is what the studio right. wanted. This is what I made. So I mean, right. maybe, maybe you could get him to. I, to I'd back. love for him to go back and go. Okay, this is the vision I wanted for this scene, and fix it. Yeah. Well, he did that with Nightbreed. He did it with in 2014. Like, yeah, I still yeah. have all the stuff. Let's do it the right way, and he did. Yep. Yeah. All right. So how many how how many tribes of the moon out of ten do you give this movie? Uh, I will give this movie nine tribes of the moon out of ten. Nine, yes, very fair again. <laughs> uh, I didn't like this one as much as Nightbreed, so I'm gonna go to a seven. Um, but it this is just because I've only watched the theatrical, so <laughs> no, that's I right. think, yeah, that's... I, I think, I think it could go more. Um, when I watch the director's cut, <laughs> yeah, and again, the director's cut. I have to borrow the laser disc from you. Yeah, it it really just feels like, like the whole version of it. Like I said, when I watched that theatrical version, I really felt like stuff was missing. But that was because I had already seen the the superior version prior to that, right? Um, but yeah, and then I, in my searches after that point, I could only ever find the theatrical version. So that I was like convinced there was a. A conspiracy the out there, and that's when I, I dug deep into that, you know, whole blockbuster censors movies things. Which I, I absolutely believe that growing up too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, eventually, absolutely as an it. adult, I realized <laughs> it was an urban legend and it's false. But this was my proof. You know, whatever people would say, like, "What's your proof?" I'd say, "Look, here it is," and they're like, "Oh wow, yeah, okay, cool." All right, the last one's mine. Yes. All right, so the last movie is Midnight Meat Train. Um, I can say right off the bat, I didn't see this run right away either. Like, I waited years for this to come out after this was out to see it. This came out in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I've, I've rewatched it multiple times since then. Um, uh, I've, I've watched it right when it first came out. It was probably in 2008, and I have not watched it again since then. This is only my second time seeing it. Right. Um, so, okay. So, this movie stars Leslie Bibb, Vinnie Jones, and Bradley Cooper. 
which might have been the first thing I saw Bradley Cooper in. Yeah, I didn't I'm know who to... Bradley Cooper was when I watched this. Right. I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't know about him at that time, so. Right. Um. So anyway, I, I think it, I'm trying to remember the very opening scene. I think the opening scene is a guy on a train, um, and he essentially is attacked by a, just a figure in the suit with, like, a giant meat hammer, like those, like, you use for, like, breaking bones or, or stuff like that. And trying to escape and just scrambling through blood, trying to get away from this. We don't see this figure in space at all at this point in time. Um, and I think that doesn't that isn't that a waking dream then for Bradley Cooper? Yeah, yeah. So um, Bradley Cooper, as we find out, is a photographer. Um, and he's going around taking pictures. Is it, I'd say this is supposed to be New York, right? Or is it Philly? Uh I don't know. <laughs> they say Philly cheesesteak. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they say Philadelphia in the beginning, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It didn't feel yeah. like Philadelphia to me, but I don't. Who knows? I right. Don't know. I don't live out there, so I can't no. judge too much. But it's not Chicago. I know it's not Chicago. That is correct. <laughs> so it's either Philly or New York. Um, and he goes around. And he's trying to be a photographer, and he's taking pictures of New York and very proud of it. Um, he's his girlfriend's Leslie Bibb, who is a waitress at a diner um and he's just like i said taking you know has that dream is going on taking like what he considers this the seedy underbelly of the city and he's talking to his friends and he's trying to get in front of brooke shields who is an art person to have his pictures printed there and do a, a showing of his stuff and you know he goes hey you know uh just don't let her know about your girlfriend. She only likes, you know, young men that are single. Oh, scratch the men part. Just young and single people. <laughs> um, and he's talking, and you know, he's going, and the big thing is he goes to the diner to visit his uh girlfriend, um, to kind of say what's going on there. He brings his own tofu to put on the griddle because he doesn't eat meat. This is a big point of it, right? And that's where they talk about the Philly cheesesteak. Like, you know, you want that bean curd on the stuff, blah, blah, blah. He's, you know, talking up with the the line cook, the head cook, who ends up being a uh, protege of House in the movie House. And he uh, immediately recognized him. Um, and, you know, he goes to our person. He's like, you know, you're, you are too fast with taking the picture. You're not seeing what I want to see is the rawness. I, I understand what you're coming from. And I agree with you. I want to see what happens when the homeless person touches the guy in the business. I want to see what's there. Wait around and see what happens. That's where you're going to get more of yourself. Your picture's always a couple moments too soon. Come back to me when you have this in place. Um, and so he is, he's, he goes, okay. And, um, you know, it's bothering him enough that, you know, he's like, okay, I, I need to get this, this is my dream. This is what I want. And he wakes up at like one ten in the morning. He just goes out into the street and trying to find more of the underbelly of the city. You know, it's, it's 1 a.m. That's where things are out. And he starts taking pictures and he starts, you know, taking pictures of homeless people, of people just throwing bottles. And he thinks he's doing really good stuff. And he follows a group 
of people into the subway, which has like seems like a two story staircase down to the subway, and kind of just jogs on, which I I can never do. I'm always afraid of tripping and falling down that. Um, and he sees them starting to sexually harass Owen, three guys, and is like he's starting to take a picture of it, and then he realizes it's getting too far. He goes and he goes down a little bit. He goes, "Hey, stop." <laughs> And the guy, he's like, what are you going to do? Why don't you come up here and find out? And he's, as the guy's coming up with a nut, brandishing a knife. He's like, yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay, stop right there. Perfect. And keeps taking pictures of him. And he's like, okay, well, how do you like, you know, do you want to be on video? Because he's standing next to a camera. He's like, aha, I got you. You want to be on film? You want to be in movies? And they just leave. He takes a couple of pictures of the girl and pictures of her getting onto the train. Um, and she's almost misses the train, and a hand comes out with a pretty unique ring on his finger, and we still don't see um, much of it, but we see her sit down. Bradley Cooper leaves, and she's sitting down, puts her headphones in, and we see the business suit guy come up, takes a hammer, and just whacks her, and her head just gets smashed sideways. Yeah, it feels like it turns all the way around. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and so... You know, he takes the pictures, he um it starts to develop them and uh you know, showing his girlfriend when she woke up, like, you know, didn't even know that he was gone for however many hours in the middle of the night. And she's like, This is really good, you should show it to her, this is what she's looking for. Um and he's at the diner, he's there for breakfast, and he realizes there's a missing girl, missing woman newspaper and it's the girl that he was taking pictures of He's like oh man i i saw exactly where she was at that point in time let me go talk to the cops you know they show he shows them the pictures yeah this is last stuff he's like cop goes have you thought about publishing in tabloids he's like no i haven't i'll pay good money for this because this is she was a model um and all this stuff um and you know, he takes a couple of pictures to the art dealer, Brooke Shields. She goes, this is perfect. Get me two or three more shots like this. You can have your own stay in the gallery. We can display them and you'll get paid, um, all that stuff. So he's, he's really excited about that. Um, I think this is where he, this is where he, no, doesn't phone his wife in the restaurant at this point in time, does he? No. Her girlfriend? Yeah, okay. that's a little later. Yeah, no, this is when he goes um, out looking for more shots, and that's when yeah. he finds bullet tooth. Yeah, and he just kind of he just kind of sits on a bench for a long, long time. Um, and then he eventually, uh, I think, is this when he meets Vinny? Is this when he sits next to him on the bench? Um, well, it, he's, he sit, see, he's, he's sitting him. on the bench, and he sees him come up the escalator, and then he starts following him. Yeah, then he starts following him. He follows him to the. Uh, his hotel and leaves him there. Right. Well, yeah, he's, he's walking behind him because that's what he did with the, the three people before was yeah. he's, he's found people that he was like, okay, these guys are going to do something up to no good. I'm going to follow them and, and take pictures of it when it happens. So this guy yeah. immediately looks like dangerous and violent. So he's like, I'm going to follow him to see what he does. And as right. he follows him around a corner, like he knows that he's following him and he grabs him. 
and just okay. kind of like stares at him and scares him. He's like, I'm sorry. I just want to take your picture. And then that's when he just leaves and goes into his hotel. Okay. But he, know, he took a picture of the hotel, so we have proof of that. Right. Um, but he, he, he was still interested enough to want to follow him again. Um, he sits out the same spot, or wait, does he wait at the hotel? I don't think he waits all night, but I think he stakes yeah. him out. And yeah. Follows him. Right. Um, and he realizes he ends up realizing that he works at the the butcher, the local butcher processing plant. I would say. Um, yeah, it's a slaughterhouse. But he does get slaughterhouse, and he does get a couple more pictures. He shows it. She's like, "All right, you know, you will set up for your show." Um, and then he shows up at the diner as she's opening it up, gives her like a, a pre-engagement engagement ring, and then they bone. <laughs> right. Um, and that, you know, at, that excited, at that point, yeah, he gets he gets like uh, a little like rough, and you can tell yeah. that she is not enjoying it. But this is where you can see that he's starting to like. Right, because he's having like the work he's having changing. these dreams. Yeah, right. he's having the dreams of the people that are getting slaughtered on the the train, and he's having more of those dreams and or visions, if you will. Um, I think at this point in time, uh, we see. Uh, he's like he's been following him, taking a couple pictures. I think this we see Vinnie Jones starts cutting off like. Lesions on his body. I don't know. I don't know what they are. I mean, they look like he collects them. Yeah, but he's got like these weird. Yeah, I don't know if they're like they look like like burst pustules. Yeah, they look. They're. I mean, they're gross looking. But yeah, he's he's obviously been doing it for a long time. He has has jars full of them. Right, and he's clearly sick because he's coughing and just doesn't seem right. He doesn't say anything, but he seems to be like deteriorating bodily. Um, and then he goes down I think he follows him again onto the train this time realizing he's like he has suspicions like you know there's butcher trials that someone suspects this stuff he's like what if all these missing people over the past however many years they never show up maybe he's killing them maybe he's butchering them and putting them at the meat market or something like that so he's like doing his own investigation journalism of it and following him and he catches up to him and uh on the train and he starts seeing him slaughter some people um he realizes he gets seen and he gets caught he gets the end of the train um and he gets his head smashed and he starts getting treated like he didn't get killed he's kind of wakes up kind of hung upside down at the end of the line and he kind of gets attacked and roughed up and like like a weird symbol carved onto his chest um you know he comes he manages to get out and escape he comes realizes he's in the meat market or the butcher fact you know facility and you know he's been gone he's been missing for they don't know how long at this point in time um he meets up with his friend at the diner he starts to eat meat which is a sign that something's different about him. Um, he, his girlfriend gets mad. Like, Why aren't you let me in? You disappeared. What's going on? We had to call an ambulance, all this stuff. Um, but he's like, I have my show tonight. I just got to get some sleep. 
Um, so she goes through his pictures and she meets up with his friend who introduced him to the art dealer. And they're like, okay, this must be where he's staying. And somehow they know exactly what room uh, Vinnie Jones is staying in. Like they scope out the, like, the perfect floor and wait for him to leave. And they start finding all the stuff. They find their lesions. They find the, like all his immaculate suits. You know, after he was knocked out, his camera is taken. Like, we have no proof of any of this without the camera. Um, so the one friend finds the camera. He gets seemingly knocked in the head with a hammer. Um, and she realizes that he's there. and She runs away. And, you know, it's like, hey, I got to get to my show, blah, blah, blah. He goes there, and he just seems off. Like, he's supposed to be... You know, rubbing elbows with the lead to show off his work, all that stuff, but he can't get, you know, he's kind of going insane, I'd say, at this point. Um, you can tell he's having more visions and stuff like that. And then he realizes that he has to stop. Uh, Mahogany is his name. We also find out earlier in the movie that the train conductor is also in on this midnight meat train because one guy almost best Vinnie Jones. He comes out and shoots him. <laughs> so it's not just a Vinnie Jones thing, Mahogany doing by himself, that this train purposely gets off the rails and does end up stopping at the uh, meat market. Right. Butcher shop, right? Um, And he's, like, he gears up with, he goes to the butcher shop, he knows it's, he knows how to get back down to the end, end of the line. And he gears himself up with like the butcher's apron and a bunch of knives and all that stuff, ready to stop this guy from doing this anymore. Um, and he goes to catch the train and realizes that, you know, his girlfriend was on that train and he sees her like very slow motionally going between cars, which I don't know how he'd ever see that. You can't see anything on the train, so he's watching them go by. Hmm. But anyway, he runs, he runs, grabs a hook and hooks onto the train. Um, She's on the train and realizes that her friend is there naked, hung upside down with like the meat hooks to the ankles, you the cattle and other livestock. And then Bradley Cooper then has a showdown with Mahogany. Um, and for it being against Vinnie Jones, he's doing pretty damn well for himself. He's a small guy compared to Vinnie Jones. <laughs> he's got magic powers now. That's true. That's true. And, um, so they have a showdown. He thinks he knocks him off the train. They go to the end of the line, um, and they realize that he's still that he's still there, um, and they still have another then a final final battle at the like I call it a nest at this point in time. There's bones everywhere. Ends up using bones to stab him and to hit him and stuff like that. Eventually gets the best of him, um, and kills him, and his. Girlfriend's kind of knocked out because she's trying to help and she's knocked in a pile of bones. The train conductor comes out and he goes, okay, well, you know, he he had it coming. It was the end of his time. Like, now you realize what you have to do. And he, like, rips his, Bradley Cooper's tongue out. It's like, this is how we keep order. We feed them so to keep the order or else they'll come out and we keep the peace. Now you understand what you must do, and he slices opens Leslie Bibb, pulls out her heart, and hands it to Bradley Cooper to eat. And we don't see what happens next from that scene. 
and then we go. I don't, back I don't know. I don't the, know if it's for him to eat. <laughs> I assume it's for him to eat. I, 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 I assume this is legions of sicknesses it. from eating people. I assumed he pulled it out because the heart was still beating. I assumed he pulled it out as like to hold her love hostage. Oh, that's kind of what I got out of it. I just took it that he was eating that Vinnie Jones was eating people as well, and these lesions and sicknesses were be for eating the forbidden flesh. I think I think the the sickness was just because he had been doing it for so long because they kind of alluded to that the, this the, has the, been these creatures for a existed long time. before people, right? But yeah, they never and, really. Yeah, Vinny Jones' character has train schedules from like 1919, so he's been doing it. He's living longer than he's what's supposed to. Right. So I think that's kind of what's going on. Yeah. It's just yeah, the body's not supposed to live for that long. So I think it's right. just going haywire. And then we see a scene of, and it's Bradley Cooper. He's now the guy in charge of the. Uh, yeah. Oh, my... it goes full circle at the end. Yeah. Um. So well, yeah, the guy that's. The la- the guy that he like sees last in the train was the guy that was in the very beginning of the movie. Right. Yep. So yeah, it was uh yeah. My first thought was I'm like, I don't know why I waited for so long to watch this. Honestly. <laughs> um, I thought it was really good. I thought it had a bad ending, which viewers and listeners know that we both love bad endings. Yeah, oh yeah, it was an unexpected ending for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I like it a lot. What was your first thoughts on this? Um, yeah, it's pretty good. Like I said, I watched it when it first came out. I wasn't like all that impressed with it, but it's it's not bad. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's decent. Yep. Alright. Highlights for me, uh it it's the most well-produced of these movies, I would say. <laughs> Quality, like, it. this looks visceral. It looks hyper-realistic. Um, and I like the bad ending a lot, and that we generally don't get to see much of those anymore. What about you? What about highlights for you? Um, highlights is, I liked his, uh, his kind of, like, descent into madness. You know, they kind of showed him um, you know, really taking on like, you know, more of that. Again, it was like a slow kind of decline, a slow burn to where he was like, you know, drifting into like, you know, being a different person. You know, like obviously he starts being like rough with his girlfriend and then he starts like eating meat and this, you know, he right. starts like delving into like these conspiracy theories. I, I like that, that kind of downfall in madness. So I think was very well done. Uh, yeah. Probably because Bradley Cooper is just a good actress is probably <laughs> right. where it's coming from. But I think it, I think that was done well. I like that. Yeah, uh, I agree. Low points for me. There's no way someone who's, who's a wannabe photographer and a waitress can afford an apartment like that. <laughs> well, I mean, no. It, it I, I think, I, I think Vinnie Jones is a good actor, but him only having one line was a was a sin. I don't know if Vinnie Jones is a good actor. <laughs> he's a he's well, a good character actor. He plays characters very well, but I don't think he's going to win an Oscar. I think he needed more dialogue. I don't know if he needed any more dialogue. I think he did just as no. good just the way he did. Um. Uh, what, about, what are your low points, then? Low points for me is this movie falls hard into the category of things I did not like at this time which was um, a lot of the blood is CGI. 
Um, oh, very much so. And I really, really hated when that first started because in this era, like you know, two thousand eight ish, because I think that's when this came out. Around that that time period, there right. was so much CGI blood, and it was not done very well. Like they didn't quite no. get it down yet, so it's very surreal looking. It's like very uncanny valley when you see it. Like that does not look right. <laughs> you know, like there's scenes of like you know blood pooling on the ground, and then you, you can like see his reflection in it. It was very, very badly done. Um, there's a scene where poor Ted Raimi gets his head bashed in and his eyes pop out. Yeah. The it, eyes it, look horrible. It's almost like it wanted to be 3D movie. Right. Yeah. It was like they look horrible. Like, there's a lot of scenes that are like that. There's, But I don't get why. It's because there's a lot of other scenes where the practical effects are fantastic. You know, like yes. some of these are like they're, they're real. Like you can tell these are, you know, actual practical effects. They're really done. Like the scene yeah. where he's like scooping the eyes out of the dead body. That was a practical right. effect. Why did yeah. you bother with the CGI eyes? You already have the eyes. Why right. would you do? Why would you bother? Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. Yeah, it, it was yeah, just I agree. This movie, that's a better. That's a better low point. But that was I just and, and this time period happened a lot and it really really bothered me. And now they do CGI blood, but it's fine because they've like figured it out. That's <laughs> so like yeah. So it, it it looks more normal now. You don't get that uncanny valley like this is fake looking at it. Like it it feels more normal now. Um, right. But the practical this, effects were fantastic. Right. I just felt yeah. like yeah, the CGI effects like they added more blood than they needed to, and it just in this time period they hadn't quite perfected it yet, and it really looks fake. You can really see it, and I think it just takes away from. It. Yeah, we see that a lot, especially with this bad fake blood CGI. It was with guns. Yeah, you could tell that how bad that looked even worse. I feel when they were shooting someone and all the blood CGI blood was coming off of that. I think that looked worse. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's it's like it, CGI blood looks bad, but if if they try to like drip CGI blood, it it's like it like breaks your brain because you're like this is something's wrong. This is not right. Right. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. That's that's best definitely better low point. Oh, they're both low points. I have to say that that was the one <laughs> thing that bothered me. Yeah, no, the practical effects, like the people hanging out and they're like when he's getting gutted, his friends getting gutted while hanging upside down. Practical effects was right. great. Yeah, that's what I, I don't understand. Like they actually had a, somebody that knew what they were doing and did it well. Um, I mean, there's a lot of like yeah. blood on the ground in this movie, and like it looks good. I don't understand why um, they use this goofy CGI blood. You obviously have gallons of fake blood around. Why are you bothering? Buckets of blood. Yeah, right. I mean that's yeah. I don't know. Maybe they just wanted to be artistic and they couldn't do it <laughs> i guess maybe, maybe it was like oh we should have done that in post-production it's like hey wait we have cgi we can do that right or maybe they tried doing it and it didn't turn out the way they wanted it so they just realized they had to do that that way that's, maybe, i guess it's possible i don't think i don't know if we'll ever know <laughs> all right um tri- number of tribes of the moon out of 10 for me i, I like this movie i think it it it's an underrated. I mean, all of these are underrated movies, and kind of forgotten about all four of these. I would say, um, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and give it an eight. Tribes of the Moon out of ten. What about you? Um, I will give it a uh, six. Tribes of the Moon out of ten. Six. So you need, you need a beer or two to watch it again. Yeah. Like I said it's not. It's not. It's not bad. <laughs> it's just no, not my favorite. That's fair. You like you like more Clive Barker ish. 
Yes. Well, yeah, Nightbreed and Lord of Illusions have been two of my very favorites for a long time. Well, like I said, out of, out of the horror genre, probably my well, my three favorites outside of like the sci-fi horror stuff would be Hellraiser, Nightbreed, yeah. and Lord of Illusions. Those are like my three favorites. And those just happen <laughs> to be the three movies that he directed. So. Right. Well, apparently a big Clive Barker fan. I didn't really understand that at the time, but now I know. Yep. All right. So you want to bring us home? Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, stay tuned for next week where we continue our reviews on the horror side of Mesh Shyamalan for real this time. Maybe. <laughs> real Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> um, but this why we're doing uh, Old, The Visit, The Happening, and the newest entry that we're going to go see in the theater is uh, Knock at the Cabin. Uh, and we'll continue our rants. Um, I know I will have at least probably two. At the very uh, least. One for one for sure. Yeah, one for sure. I know for sure. But a one I'm one pretty is. sure because I haven't seen it. Uh one of these is yeah. actually decent and one I have not seen at all. So well actually two I have not seen. Well, well the re- the re- the reviews are saying that this is his best movie since The Village. Now we uh, all know how we feel about the yeah, village. So I don't know. Which that's does that mean it's gonna be another stupid twist like the village was? I really hope not. Ah, uh, we don't know. I don't know why people we'll, think The Village is a good movie. That's what really upsets me. I yes, <laughs> maybe if they said if they said since The Sixth Sense, sure, I'd be all on board for that. Right, but since The Village, yeah, The Village is probably like so, the movie uh, I hate the most of his. <laughs> so that's not that's right. not saying much for me. Yeah, but yeah, all right, for really real this time, unless unless catastrophic things happen. Yeah, so. Uh, so this has been Graveyard saying, have you checked on the children? Uh, this is Salem saying, long live the new flesh. Isn't it? Nice.